Welcome to Gone Too Soon, the podcast where we revisit great TV shows that were canceled before their time. I'm Drew. And I'm Kyle. On part two of our podcast on Judd Apatow and Paul Feig's seminal high school dramedy, Freaks and Geeks, we'll be taking a closer look at each of the 18 episodes that were produced. That's right. In last week's episode of the podcast, we gave you some history of the show and talked about why it might have been canceled. We also talked to actor Tom Wilson, who played Coach Fredericks on the show. So if you haven't checked out part one of our discussion, go listen to that first. And remember, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you haven't seen all the episodes of Freaks and Geeks, go watch them. They're all on Netflix. And then come back and listen to this podcast and hear our thoughts on the show. Okay, then. Let's get right into the episodes. So let's start with the pilot episode. Episode one. This aired on September 25th, 1999. It was written by Paul Feig himself uh, and directed by Jake Kasdan. For those who don't remember, uh, in in this episode, it sort of introduces the idea that Lindsay is going to try and hang out with these rebel kids, uh, Daniel Desario and all his friends. And it also introduces the concept of the geeks and everything. And then this really great story with this, this special education kid. Uh, Eli. Eli. She's, she decides to sort of rebel against high school conventions in, in a way that I've never seen before in a movie or a television show. She does something bold and interesting and unique here. And she takes this kid to the dance, this special education student who's going around and asking all these other girls uh, to the dance, and they're all laughing in, in his face and everything. And, and she steps in and, and she takes a stand. She's just like, I'll take him to the dance, you know, just like F you guys, you know. And it was such a cool ballsy move and rebellious in a way that – is not like a generic way of being rebellious. Like she goes and destroys someone's property or something dumb like that. It was something truly rebellious against real, you know, uh, conventional ways of thinking in high school and everything, which is, I guess, to stay away from special needs students, not take them to dances and everything. But she she doesn't care. And and in this first episode, she's such a great protagonist, I think, for doing that. You love her so much for doing that. And then you also have this B story again with the geeks, and uh, this bully Alan and Sam Weir, and he needs to ask Cindy Sanders out to the homecoming dance. And it's also iconic. It's like a movie, like I said, like a, a little movie. And it's just very uh, special. It's just, it's one of the reasons I think that this show is so strong for the people. There's, there was a certain group of people who loved this show from the beginning and stuck with it. And I think this pilot is a huge part of that. So you would say that you really enjoyed this episode? Yeah, I would say this is my favorite episode, even though there are other episodes I think are really, really good. I would say this is hands down my favorite episode of the entire uh, show. Can I blow your mind? Blow my mind. I hated this episode. Really? I went back and I watched it and I was like, oh my God, what have we gotten ourselves into? Freaks and Geeks isn't as good as I remembered. Oh, really? It is so... It's so one-dimensional, it plays on stereotypes, and I guess to a certain extent you have to. And, and they do subvert the convention at the very end, where Lindsay asks Eli to the dance. Right. I thought that was very touching, I thought that was very well done. But everything else played so deeply on stereotypes of 80s, you know, it felt like a bad John Hughes film. Like... Everything was one dimensional. The the bully coach, Alan the bully, and like standing up to your bully, and oh my god, the freaks are. It, it, it felt everything felt so one dimensional. I was <laughs> like, oh my god, 
what have we done? This show is not as good as I remembered. That's so uh, that's so interesting that that was uh, your reaction because I see where you're coming from because definitely uh, individual characters like Seth Rogen's character is super one dimensional in the first episode. They don't get into him at all. I'm shocked that you, I'm, I'm shocked that you didn't like it because the comedy is so well written though. I mean, didn't you find that like every joke just landed like so like so good like it seemed like yeah. every joke was a hit and I, i'm trying to i've been trying to figure out ever since i watched it if it's because i have seen it multiple times before uh, if everything just felt so like i'd be interested to see from our listeners uh and you can follow us on twitter at gone too soon pod tell us what you think uh if this is your first time watching the pilot episode if you've seen it before I, I wonder if I am just jaded on the one-dimensionalness of this episode because I know how great it gets later and how deep it gets, and it just it just felt like a little it traded on stereotypes a little bit too much. Yeah, I think I think it's just it's so neat that uh, that we both saw two different things about that episode. But I I you know this show this show is very strange in that every single episode is almost like an entirely new television series or an entirely new version of the show with a new main character and a new sort of dynamic setup to everything and in some ways in some ways i like that but in some ways i think that contributed to it not being able to lock down its audience as well as it wanted to right i think i, I think everybody all the characters were so deep that they all needed at least one of their own episodes right that was definitely their thinking uh, obviously, uh, uh, going in there, I think th- I think they needed to do a better job of doing that, but also s- like melding that or merging that with the sort of primary storyline of what Lindsay and her brother are doing. You know, exactly. Like, you know, we'll we'll kind of get into this as we go, but I feel like these these first like six episodes or so, you're only getting two stories. You're getting one of the freaks and what they are going through and how Lindsay can help them. Uh, and you're getting the geeks going through another kind of stereotypical, like high school coming of age, freshman boy story. Uh, and that kind of got a little repetitive in the beginning. Uh, but once you really get past that, the show just gets so deep uh, and it, and it really starts to take off. Uh, so it was really only starting to hit its stride, uh, by the time, you know, the, the cancellation came around. Yeah. And, uh, I just wanted to point out one more thing that we haven't really mentioned yet, which is the adult characters in the show, which is, you know, the weirs are very funny. Her parents, I think are very funny, uh, uh comedians and they do well with their characters and there's also a, a counselor, their school counselor, uh, Dave, Jeff Rosso. Jeff Rosso, right, played by Dave Allen, and uh, he's he's funny throughout the show, um, and lots of just other, uh, you know, Gordon Crisp, uh, played by Jerry Messing, just lots of just random uh, characters that are very memorable because uh, they had an episode, like you say, where they were sort of heavily featured in the episode. And exactly. it, it's, it's the joy of the show. It's the reason to go around and watch all the different episodes is not necessarily because the story is going to go through all of them, but you are going to get into all these different characters. And it's always funny to an interesting and dramatic. They always have that blend of things, each character, but in their own unique way. 
and uh, like like we said, well, very well cast. They match the character personality with someone that they found, or vice versa. I think in some instances, and they ended up with just a really good bunch of characters that you can stand by. So going on to to episode two, uh, it was entitled "Beers and Weirs." Beers and Weirs. Uh, <laughs> Directed once again by Jake Kasdan, uh, who directed uh, about a third of the episodes, and uh, I believe he was like the supervising producer or consulting producer or something like that. He he was basically the supervising director of all the episodes, uh, and it was written by none other than Judd Apatow and J. Elvis Weinstein, who may not be a household name, but you may remember him as Tom Servo. From the original uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Cool. I did not know that. He uh, also, uh, you know, obviously helped write on Mystery Science Theater 3000. So uh, I think he knows what he's talking about when it comes to comedy and observational humor. Uh, The episode aired on October 2nd, 1999. And tell us a little bit about what happened. Yeah, I thought this was a great second episode. And it has a really good final line about uh led zeppelin how the drummer from led zeppelin died it's it's just a neat little episode that is compact it's based around a a singular event this party that's happening and uh the the freaks want to have this awesome party and 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 Lindsay's new friends are inviting way more people than she thought they were going to invite and it's got that very classic feel to it that like this happened to people, you know, this is, this is things that uh, have happened to people. This has happened to me, even though I probably shouldn't mention that in case my parents, but but yeah, when your parents go out of town, sometimes maybe you might have a party at the house and everything. And uh, what the geeks do though, is very uh, kind of fun and interesting. They have this idea to get a keg uh, of non-alcoholic beer and switch it at the party and it's, it's a fun little uh, gimmick to the episode, I think, where you're seeing all these uh, high school kids walking around with beers in their hand, and they start acting drunk as the night goes on and everything. And, of course, you know that it's the placebo effect. And I thought it was a cool chance for the geek characters to mingle more with the freak characters, which we didn't really get to see that much of in the first episode. So all around, uh, I liked this one. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I thought this was, uh, like you said, it was a neat episode. Uh, You get something that you actually don't get a lot throughout the series, is that that mixing of the freaks and the geeks. Like They they kind of each have their own storyline through most of the the episode, and they they never the two, two shall meet except for like when Lindsay and Sam are having family dinner. Uh, But yeah, like the... The concept of of the young geeks like getting worried for for Lindsay, their big sister, uh, that she's gonna get in trouble uh, with either the law or with her parents, uh, and they take it into their own hands to do something, and they know that they're that Lindsay and the freaks are not gonna listen to them of like not having the party, so they come up with this idea of of getting the keg and then just seeing that placebo effect take shape is is where the comedy really lies in this episode because we've all been there before like in in our early days of drinking or or smoking weed like acting more drunk than we actually are because we think that's gonna make us look cool right uh we've all been there before and that's just the just one of many things throughout this show that are just so relatable uh and and you really just 
get the full effect of high school yeah. in this one compact episode. Yeah, they're really good. They really zero in on all the little details about uh, what this, all the comic gold that this you can mine for this premise. But there's also some interesting drama too with the Neil Schweiber character who actually counsels. Lindsay in this really cool scene and you would think it would be sam who would be in that scene i thought it was interesting that it's actually one of sam's friends that's in that scene counseling her it's just like we said it's an interesting uh opportunity for the geeks to to sort of meld over cross over and interact with some freaks and uh and i liked that aspect of the show uh, uh, uh that sometimes all throughout the rest of the episodes and stuff, there will be these little moments where you'll, where you'll realize, oh my gosh, I don't think I've ever seen Sam and Daniel in a scene together like this. It'll happen like way later. It'll just pop up out of nowhere. And it's just a cool feature of the show. And and like you mentioned with Neil uh, counseling Lindsay, you, you start to plant the seeds that... Neil has had this crush on Lindsay for a long time. But, you know, you see that a lot uh, as kind of like a trope in teen comedies and teen dramas. But, like, it's done so well here. Uh, You really get the feeling that Neil has been hanging out with Sam and Bill since they were in kindergarten and consequently has grown up with Lindsay. uh, So that they, they they also have this intimacy uh, that you can't get any other way than growing up together. Right. It's it's so believable. Uh, I think the way they do it, though, it, it's not like what you said, like Dawson's Creek, where it's highly melodramatic and everything, uh, where he would express his love for her and he would you know do all of this stuff. It never really goes like that. It always goes more how people are in real life, which is kind of more reserved and more nervous and not wanting to express themselves so literally for fear of you know, criticism or the reaction that they, you know, a bad reaction they don't want or something like that. And all of that awkwardness and anxiety is encapsulated in Freaks and Geeks. It's always a constant of the show that it never goes like lame. It never goes like super melodramatic to the point where you're rolling your eyes and everything. It manages somehow to steer clear of that at every juncture. I suppose we should move on to episode three now though, which is uh, Tricks and Treaks. So why don't you tell us what what Tricks and Treats is all about. Tricks and Treats uh, takes us to Halloween. Uh, It aired on October 30th, so it aired the day before Halloween, uh, 1999. And this one, I feel like, is all about growing up. Uh, Sam and Bill and Neil decide to go out trick-or-treating, even though they're 14 years old. Uh, And, you know, there's, there's resistance there of... Uh, we're too old for this, but ultimately they decide to do it. There's also Lindsay and really ditching her usual Halloween family tradition of passing out candy with her mom and hanging out with her parents on Halloween. Instead, going out with her new freak friends uh, so that they they get into trouble and, and do kind of those like teenage Halloween things of like pulling the tricks uh, rather than going out and getting the treats. Uh, so this is this one I feel like was all about growing up for me and I feel like it was done in such a great way. Uh, there's also a little bit of more of that crossover between the the freak and the geek world where Lindsay and her friends uh, throw eggs at trick-or-treaters and it turns out 
that she mistakenly throws one at Sam. Uh, gets egg all over his face, and I feel like that was a great moment where she realized, like, oh my god, what am I doing? I just hit my brother in the face with an egg. I am so sorry, and it really just kind of brings her back to, you know, I, I'm trying to rebel against my old, like, goody two-shoes nature, but I, I just can't stray from too far from who I actually am. So you got you got a little bit of depth to Lindsay that you you were mentioning in the first episode uh, that we we kind of won't really see again for a few episodes. Uh, and I feel like it, it, it really shown here uh, in the uh, the growing up episode. It, it did. It was really fun to see her. uh to see her go through that uh, idea. I, I well, I, the only thing I wrote for this for this one in my notes was sad episode. I thought this was a sad episode because she naturally wants to hang out with her cool friends and do cool things. And there are little tiny moments like this in life where your sibling will they'll be there and like their friends will be there and you'll be there and they'll have, they'll come to this opportunity where they can either say something mean to you that makes their friends laugh or they can just stand up for you or something like that. And when they go the other route and they throw the egg, you know, it just makes you feel like you've lost a friend or something like someone has sort of betrayed you or whatever, but her reaction to it is also like, it's, it is suitable for that. It's so, she's so sad about it. She's so sorry about it. And she apologizes and she makes them drive the car backwards back to him and everything. And she hangs out of the car and she's like, come on, Sam, get in the car. You know, this is a very iconic aspect of her character where she wants to hang out with the freaks. But then it will push her to to this point where maybe she's not comfortable with it anymore. And she doesn't want to go that far. And she doesn't want to become that type of person, freaker. No, you know, there's a certain point in the episode where it just becomes about what it is to be a human being. And it's not so much about whether she wants to be accepted by them and be cool and everything. It's just what is the right thing to do. And this is a great illustration of that uh, aspect of her of her character in this story and what the sort of point of Freaks and Geeks is, which is to show that growing up is hard because there are just these humiliating moments or these moments where you make a mistake and you just feel like total and complete crap about yourself, you know? And this show delves into all that and this episode is a good example yeah and we also get uh, a great little sea story with uh mrs weir uh and she's passing out homemade cookies and everybody in the neighborhood is like tossing them on her front lawn because it's 1980 you can't have homemade cookies anymore for halloween and it it really kind of just also exemplifies like the changing of the times like when when mrs weir was a younger lass uh everybody made homemade cookies but like now that could have razor blades in it it could have poison in it and all this other stuff and that that continues even today like nobody's allowed to have candy on halloween unless it's like totally sealed and your parents check it for razor blades and there's all these these horror stories and it's just kind of Shows that like the late 70s, 80s were kind of like that that tipping point where America kind of lost its innocence uh, and it's all kind of like exemplified and, and packaged in that that one little tiny sea story that's it's almost a throwaway. But if you really think about it, it's kind of what uh, 
what the times are all about. It's just a good episode. Just a good, nice, uh, dramatic, more, I guess, more dramatic episode, or I saw it that way. Which is funny, because I saw it as a, as a more comedic episode, like the the egg on the face. I'm the kind of person who always thinks it's sad that Charlie Brown can't kick the football. I don't I don't <laughs> see the humor in it. I just feel bad for him. That's that's such a great analogy. <laughs> Should we move on to the uh, the next one here? Yeah, let's. Uh, this this next one's an, a really interesting story in the uh, the history of freaks and geeks. Uh, episode four uh, is entitled "Kim Kelly is my friend," and it originally aired on September fifth, two thousand, on the Fox Family Channel. This is an episode that NBC deemed too controversial are too dark or too something and they did not want to air it in the original run uh so they skipped over it and it and it does have uh a pretty tonally different feel than the earlier episodes and even some of the later episodes well i would say kim's kim's home life is way harsher than any other character on the show and i exactly i think that's what did it yeah it it, it it was really, it really felt real. Like, you know, yeah, you, it was a great episode. Had, I loved it. You've had three episodes where you get a little glimpse of Kim Kelly and she is, she's mean. She, she hits people, but like it's, it all comes from a place of love where like you can kind of tell that she, she wants to be love and she wants to feel closeness, but whenever she gets too close to somebody, then she's got to literally physically push them away. Uh, and in this episode, we really find the beginnings of her home life. And you, you see that her brother, uh, is, uh, he's got an injury or what, what really happened with his brother, but her brother like can't get off the couch. I think he's just like a burnout basically. Uh, or he just doesn't do anything. He's just extremely lazy. Uh, right. But she also has a stepfather who doesn't seem like the greatest guy ever. He doesn't seem like he he does anything too bad to her, but it just doesn't seem like a fun house to be in. It seems like a house where there's lots of yelling and arguing all the time and very little uh, affection or softness. And she also has this car, and, and her, her uh, parents keep hassling her. They want to sell this car, and her aunt gave her this car, and this is her car, and you know, and she's trying to stand by this. And you can tell that this is just the sort of pressure point uh, that all this other conflict has been building to. That's all centers the car is sort of a linchpin or something, and uh, it kind of sets off at a certain point in the show where they go out, and they run out, and they steal the car and everything. And uh, they're yelling at him. They're trying. The, the, the stepfather comes out and he's like uh, lifting up the car and bouncing it up and down and everything. It was a cool episode in the sense that you're sort of on this ride with Lindsay. In a lot of ways, it's Lindsay's episode uh, in the sense that she's looking at this character. What would it be like to go out with one of your crazier friends? I had experiences like this when I was a kid where I would go over to a friend's house and they would have a, a much harsher family life. And you feel it feels very awkward, you know. And I think maybe that's what the studio was sort of feeling. It almost felt like going over to a friend's house and it's just too dark for what you normally do. And I think maybe the studio got cold feet and backed out of it because of that. But they ultimately did put it out there. And it's a really good episode. It's like one of the best Freaks and Geeks episodes. I would probably put it up there in the top 10 somewhere 
Uh, I don't know if it would make top five, because there are a lot of good episodes, but uh, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I, I really liked it a lot as well. Uh, like you said, I wouldn't probably put it in the top five, like most best episodes of, of the series, but it really gave you that that dark, like, this is where these characters are coming from. And yeah. you also got Rashida Jones uh, in this episode that I referenced earlier. That's right. Uh, uh, you know, she has her her flirting uh, situation with with Daniel, which is a great sets, scene. It, it's a great <laughs> scene. It sets Kim off and that that also involves the car. So like the car kind of like features heavily where she almost tries to run down Daniel yeah. and uh, and Karen in this <laughs> in that in her car. And it, it it really just all ties in so neatly. The interesting thing about it not airing is uh, as you watch the rest of the episode, I kind of or the rest of the series, I clocked at least two times where they call back to this episode. Right. Where somebody really intently watching would be like, wait, when did that happen? There, There's a scene later where in the end of the episode where yes. uh, <laughs> where all the freaks end up at Lindsay's house yeah. and it's the middle of the night and uh, and Kim and Daniel kind of end up making up uh, and they end up making out. And as everybody's leaving, uh, Nick, Nick's Nick's character uh, is what does he take? Uh Oh, I, I have it all written down here. Okay, so he he uh, <laughs> Nick is talking to Mr. and Mrs. Weir in their living room, and it's his first introduction to him. That's super awkward. He says, "Hey, uh, listen, you guys mind if I have these?" And he holds it up, and it's like already in his hand and everything. And she's like, "You know, yes, of course." You know, she's very nice, and it's a great like funny random moment to it. And then like what you were saying, there's another episode later where they she talks about, uh, I think it's when they start going out and her mom asks her about it. And she's like, I'm going out with Nick, whatever. And she says, the guy who ate all the fruit roll-ups. Exactly. And then there's, there's also in this episode, Mrs. Weir talks to Kim's mom on the phone when like, uh, when Kim is at the Weir's house. Right. Uh, and she's worried about where she is. And then a later episode when they reference Kim and her mom, Lindsay's like, you You met her mom. You talked to her on the phone. Right. Her mom comes over for dinner in a later episode, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, 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 you know, that's one of the things that sucks is every time they do that, uh, probably a lot of shows we'll talk about have had studios messing around with episode order and stuff like that or not airing certain episodes. You're like, yeah, it, it screws things up for precisely that reason. Things later on are not going to make sense. Or as much sense exactly. as they, you know, or any sense at all, really. I mean, that fruit roll-up thing is going to go right over everybody's head if they haven't, when they went back when we hadn't seen this episode. Exactly. And and people are going to think, did I miss something? Like, where where is this coming from? But then it kind of an, an interesting thing that I noted a couple of episodes later when, uh, when Daniel comes over to the house... It's as if he's coming over for the first time. So they must have like reshot that scene knowing that the Kim Kelly is my friend episode doesn't air. So there's a, there's a lot of inconsistencies there. And I feel like those inconsistencies might have also led to the downfall of the show, unfortunately. 
I really like the next episode that we're going to talk about. I think it's one of the ones that helped create this fan base that still swells for this show and, and makes it that we still would do a podcast about it and everything is for episodes like this next one. Yeah, this next one, uh, episode five, is called Tests and Breasts. Uh, it aired originally on November 6th, 1999. Uh, and this is this is kind of the second episode in a row where we dive deeper into one of the freaks. Uh, Lindsay kind of takes a backseat and is almost like our eyes looking into this world. And she, she kind of doesn't really get to play her own character, but she's... She's there as a vehicle to help Daniel. Uh, I love the part where James Franco told the sob story the second time, and Lindsay busts out laughing. So, like, basically what happens is they get caught for for cheating, and they end up in the principal's office. Uh, But before that, right before that, Daniel, uh, the James Franco character, had told Lindsay this really great story about back when he was a kid. They told us when we got to junior high, we'd be either in track one, track two, or track three. Track one's the smart kids. Track two's the normal kids. Track three is the dumb kids. And what do you think I got? How do you think it feels to be told you're dumb when you're 11 years old? And then in the very next scene, he tells that exact same story with all the same beats and everything. And she just bursts out laughing. She can't control herself. And I thought that was one of those moments that we talk about where it's like, that's what people really do. They have weird reactions to things like that. That's an actual, even though it seems bizarre that she would just start cracking up. And actually, when you think about it, it's a really natural reaction. It's something uncontrollable. It's just that she just pieced it together in her head that this guy is, uh, you know, a master manipulator. You know, he's great at this. He's a good liar, you know, and she just never, I don't, Lindsay doesn't think like that because she comes from a world of mathletes and very straight edged people. So when this happens, it just surprises her to the point and has this very surprising effect on her where she can't control herself. So I liked uh, that aspect, obviously. And then, of course, there's this other classic B story uh, with the uh, porn movie with all the geeks and everything that's just ends up being hilarious in the end when he goes i loved that story yeah it was so well done so well done. where you know like they they start sex ed in the freshman uh health class and we get uh our our second appearance from uh tom wilson as uh as coach fredericks who appeared in the first episode and that's where another one where i felt like he was very one-dimensional he was just the bully coach uh, and it's like, he was the jock in high school who grew up to be the gym teacher. And I feel like that was very one dimensional, but, uh, here he plays the, he's the gym teacher, but he's there teaching sex ed and Sam and his friends are just so confused by everything he's saying about fallopian tubes and ovaries and right. all that. And then, uh, you get a little bit of crossover with the freaks and the geeks again, where Daniel uh, gives them a pornographic film, which I loved was on an actual film reel. Right. Uh, and they had to jump into the, the AV room uh, to watch it. And then the scene where all three of the guys, uh, Sam and Bill and Neil, are in the AV room watching this porno together, where they all have like different levels of anticipation, where Sam is like, 
uh, I don't know if I want to do this. And Neil is like, come on, man, it's a porno. Like, we got to watch this. Like, this is how else are we going to learn? And then just the watching them in silence, watching this film with like the porno music and the, the late 70s porno music in the background and just watching their faces slowly get more and more uncomfortable and they actually physically move away from each other in the scene because it's so awkward and I feel like every adolescent boy has been there before either like discovering porno for themselves for the first time or discovering it with friends and then just getting so much more confused afterwards I feel like that was just so well done and that this is one of those those times in this series where my stomach just churned because I I could put myself in that situation where you know I, I I'm trying to figure out my own sexuality and I'm also trying to do it with my buddies and it's it's just so delightfully awkward uh and then at the at the end of this the episode you get the frank talk from coach fredericks and he he kind of turns the corner he's been picking on sam for the entire series but then he just takes him aside and is like all right i'm gonna tell you the truth plain language but listen you can't tell anybody we had this conversation your permission slip for sex that doesn't cover this stuff i could get in a lot of trouble for what i'm gonna tell you all right? Okay. Fair enough. Um, certain men, uh, not me. And you get this montage of like him explaining it. You don't hear what he's saying, but you, you see Sam get more and more comfortable with it. And it's just like a really beautiful moment. And you, you see, Coach Fredericks turned the corner of where he, where he's going to be later in the season, which I, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, for all those reasons, it was just a great uh, episode, uh, especially like what you said. It's the first time the coach took on a more multidimensional uh, place in the in the story. And you went, oh, I get it. We can use that character, too, because because of what you said, like from the pilot, like it seemed like characters were one dimensional, but as you go through the show, you realize, no, 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 no. Each character can sort of be brought out of the one dimensional background and featured in the show in a, in a surprising way that gives them more depth. Exactly. And, and I would say that this is the episode where the series really hit its stride. It's, you know, the, the, like I said, I, I felt like the, the pilot was a little one dimensional, and I was a little bit worried about about going into this. And then, like, each of the episodes before this, they're they're good. Uh, and they kind of start to, to get you deeper into the world. But, like, this is, I feel like, where it really hit its stride. And you get the really essential high school experiences of sex ed and cheating. And they're just done so well. And it really just... It's all uphill from here, but this is where this is, I think, an essential episode. You you gotta watch the pilot, even though like I I feel like it's not the best episode. Uh, it really sets up the world. Yeah, great uh, introduction. You can't skip it. Yeah. Uh, so that is essential. But then I I feel like this is another essential episode of the series. Uh, if you're just getting into it, if you don't have time to watch all 18 episodes, uh, if you watch 
the pilot and you watch tests and breasts, then you're you're really gonna get hooked and you're you're gonna be you're gonna know what this world's all about. Yeah, definitely. I guess I'll move on to the the next episode here. I'm actually uh, interested to get into this one because one of the first things that sort of created our friendship here was we joined a band or we started a band together. And this next episode, episode six, is called I'm with the band. And it was directed by Judd Apatow. And it was written by Gabe Sachs, I think, and Jeff Judah. Judah. And it originally uh, aired on November 13th, 1999. And uh, I don't know, you want to say what this one was about? This is sort of. Yeah, uh, this is. Uh, this very close episode... to what happened to us, I think. Exactly. This, <laughs> is, this is the three main geeks, uh, or sorry, the three main freaks. Start have a band and they're actually joined on bass by uh, Sean Weiss, who you will recognize. He was in the pilot, but you will recognize him as Goldberg from the Mighty Ducks. Yeah, uh, he also was in uh, was in Heavyweights, uh, and that's how he was he was introduced to the to the Apatow universe. But uh, he's gonna end up uh, coming in and out of the series, and he's kind of known as like the the fourth freak. Uh, and he, he's also really great in this episode. So, so the freaks have a band. You've gotten a glimpse in earlier episodes of, uh, Nick and his 29 piece drum kit, uh, and how he's really into drumming and how sad he was when John Bonham died. Exactly. You got that in in episode two. Uh, and this, but you see how bad he is at it yeah uh and uh, and all the guys are actually really bad at what they do like seth rogan's the singer and he's not very good uh and none of the guys are very good uh and Lindsay takes it upon herself like this is what nick really wants to do he wants to be a drummer she sees that he is not gonna excel at at being a student He's not going to excel in that way. And if he wants to be a drummer, he's got to put his all into it. And that's the world that Lindsay comes from, where if you're not going to do it right, it's not worth doing at all. So she convinces Nick to really go at it, to practice, to get these songs down right. But all the other guys are just in this to have fun. Uh, So she really plays the Yoko in the band uh, and kind of splits all the guys up. And, uh... In the end, Nick uh, auditions for uh, a pretty prominent local band, and he bombs the audition so hard. He thinks he's doing so good, and it's really just painful to watch. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And Lindsay feels bad for him, and you get Nick and Lindsay's first kiss, uh, and the beginning of a really awkward but so real high school relationship where it's all based on what you think you're supposed to do and not wanting to hurt the other person. And it's it's just so well done where, like, you know, Lindsay's just feeling bad for him and wants to give him a win, so she kisses him. And Nick takes that the totally wrong way. And it really just permeates through the rest of the series yeah it, it is one of those episodes that sort of highlights how sensitive the nick character is that he he can fall in love so easily and he's sort of the more romantic poetic freak and it sort of does go over into that sort of 
um, thing where, like, I don't know, sometimes uh, uh, Jason Siegel, he'll just, with this character, he'll just do a, a face or a laugh or something, and it's just, he'll, he's almost trying to creep you out a little bit. There's an element of the character that's supposed to be really, like, sort of uh, weird and creepy in a way. But also another thing I want to mention about this I'm With The Band episode is that uh, public showering is very, very awkward. And uh, the B story in this one with Sam uh, not wanting to take a shower at the gym and everything is just very true to uh, real life when you're a kid. And the first time you 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 find yourself in that situation and the concept of just walking around while everyone else is showering around you is just so weird and awkward. And uh, that never really goes away. And so I think that's why that uh, that aspect of the episode is... Uh, just fun because I think that would be awkward. Uh, it's one of the things about the show that's timeless is that even many decades from now, public showering is still going to be an awkward thing. Like that's never going to go away. Like, and there are so many like universal uh, things that the show keys into like that. And uh, I liked this episode. I thought this was an all around solid episode. It's a good example of just a your typical high bar freaks and geeks episode. Yeah, and you know, uh, something I bumped on that you had said earlier on is that the geeks are always kind of the B story and like when you said it, I didn't really agree with it, but as we're going through this, I am realizing that yeah, the freaks really take the front seat and the geeks are always just kind of like the the comic relief secondary story. Well, sure because the freaks deal with more when you're in high school, you deal with more dramatic things, I think. Yeah. I think that's why they kind of take the lead. Yeah. And, you know, I would actually say that this episode isn't all that great because of the geek story, and especially because the episode right before this had to do with health class, uh, and this has to do with public showering and gym class. Like, I right. feel like the, the geeks are kind of getting relegated to all of this, like, awkwardness of surrounding gym class and I, I kind of wanted to see a little bit more out of them uh it, it, it's still a good episode in my book and i, I love the band storyline and i love that we, we're first starting to get the the Lindsay nick uh storyline coming through when like in the beginning of the series you kind of think that Lindsay is getting into this world because she has a crush on daniel uh and even in the pilot episode uh you don't you don't really get that Daniel and Kim are together, and I don't think they actually were when the pilot was written. Uh, but then in uh, in episode two, uh, it's kind of retconned that Daniel and Kim are together, uh, and you 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 get this not really sexual tension, but tension between uh, Lindsay and Daniel for the episodes leading up to this, where like kind of everything she's doing is almost to impress Daniel, uh, and then you kind of slide into this Lindsay Nick thing and you're like, wow, that makes sense. Like as much as they're not, uh, kind of perfect for each other, like the relationship just kind of makes sense. Like they, they feel like the most real in a way. Um, yeah, I would, I would agree with that in the sense that I think Daniel and Lindsay were supposed to, end up together and I think they were probably going to go for that a lot sooner but they figured well we'll save that for seasons two and three to really get into that and maybe we'll have her date one of his friends first just so that she can sort of solidify her position in the clique a little bit more and I think that's where Nick kind of comes in but it's sort of doomed for failure from the start you kind of know that 
they're not really ultimately going to work out, but it does feel like a fun fling. Once, like you say, once you see them kiss, there's a light that goes on and goes, oh, this could be fun to watch. And so you are, you do go along for it, I think. And uh, I think that leads us into uh, episode seven, Carded and Discarded. Uh, again, directed by Judd Apatow. Uh, he's he's really kind of jumping in and taking the reins as it was written by Judd Apatow and Paul Feig. Yeah. Uh, and this... Uh, is the first episode back on Monday nights after a, uh, a two-and-a-half-month break. Uh, and now the show's airing on Monday nights at 8 o'clock. Uh, so this episode aired on January 10th in the year 2000, just after Y2K didn't do anything. <laughs> uh, and this this episode, I feel like, is kind of where the, the, the geeks actually do take uh, front and center. Uh, and I think this is kind of their first A storyline where a new uh, new girl comes to school named Maureen, played by uh, Kayla Ewell. Yeah. And she befriends Sam, Neil, and Bill. Uh, and she's she's attractive. It's so uh, awesome. Yeah. It's it, you kind of get like this first win for the geeks. Yeah. Where she's cool and she likes the things that they like and. You're like, when is the other shoe going to drop? And predictably and unfortunately, it does drop where she kind of falls in with the cheerleaders and ends up sitting with them at lunch. Uh, and the, the geeks are, are left at their own little table, kind of looking off as their friend Maureen goes off to be cool without them. Yeah, and that is, I think, the sort of weak point maybe of the episode is the sort of predictability that she will eventually go hang out with the popular kids and not be their friend anymore. I think it's handled well uh, at the end of the series, though. They have a little chat about it, but you do sort of see it coming a mile away. But that's not what's fun about the episode. What's fun about the episode is the the journey, the build up to it. Uh, they go out and they take these rockets out and uh, they, this cool song plays... Uh, I play nights in the Spanish part of town. Really great soundtrack. We haven't really mentioned it yet, but there's a, there's a great soundtrack to Freaks and Geeks and uh, a lot of great songs that help the narrative push along at times in the show. And that rocket scene is great. And just their relationship is so cool. It's like you say, it's a, it's a, it's a win for the geeks. It's the first time that something cool happens to them that isn't humiliating for them. It's actually something that's empowering for them. It makes them feel a little bit better about themselves. And of course, it's all uh, going for a dead end and everything. But it's sweet while it lasts. And it's a really great... Uh, I, I enjoyed this episode. And also, uh, one of the cool things about this episode is that uh, uh, Jason Schwartzman pops up at a point uh, because this this is one of those episodes where the B story is the geek story. So you have the, this- the freak story. The freak story, yes. Uh, and so you have this other, this 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 fake ID storyline that's uh, entertaining for what it is, and it's cool that like uh, Jason Schwartzman shows up and everything to help them with that, and uh, it just gives them a chance to do light comedy stuff instead of get into like heavy drama stuff. I thought I thought it was a cool switch up in this episode. In a way, like both scenarios in this episode are a little you kind of cut see them coming a mile away and you you know the whole time that the freaks are going to get busted you, you 
don't really know how. You don't know it ends how. Up being, yeah. It ends up being Jeff Rosso is the lead singer of this band <laughs> that they were uh, really excited to see. And he busts them all very publicly. And it's it's very funny and it's very well handled. It just like you saw Maureen coming from a mile away that she was going to end up being popular. But didn't uh, you like the actor? The popular kids. I liked the actor. Yeah. She was great. Uh, I, I liked how everything was handled. But I think it's going to... This is kind of the beginning of the theme that will come up for me throughout the Freaks and Geeks episodes is ones that where Paul Feig is credited as the writer, I don't actually like as much. I find them, I find the scenarios that they get put in to be a little less realistic, uh, even if they're based on real things. Like, he he kind of bends the reality of the world a little bit to make it so that his his characters get put into situations. And then... They're kind of, they're a little bit uh, hackneyed, uh, the storylines, and you kind of see the resolution coming a mile away. You don't exactly know how it's going to go, but you see it coming, uh, and I, I, they're kind of my, my less favorite episodes. Yeah, he's a little bit more, uh, yeah, you can tell he's he probably saw a lot of TV when he was a kid, maybe, and sort of knows how a television show is supposed to go, but doesn't really have, uh, I don't think, what it takes to, to surprise. He knows how a to- show is supposed to go, though. He knows what an iconic, what iconic material for an episode would look like. And, he, and he's very good, I think, at selecting that stuff. But not actually executing the material necessarily. He's not, like, the greatest writer uh, ever. The thing is, is that Paul Feig understands less about that aspect than the geek aspect. He understands the geek, the geek aspect, I think, a lot. But the freak aspect is left up to Judd Apatow, I think, and other people more so. And I think... Uh, if I were to compare the two, like what aspect of the show I like more, the freak side or the geek side, I'd have to say like the freak side I like a little bit more just because it is funny and dramatic and and it's, the stakes are a little bit higher. And you get to have episodes like this next episode of uh, called Girlfriends and Boyfriends that goes into human, complicated, romantic relationships and gets to have fun with that and also gets to have some real drama with that too. Yeah, this this next episode, Girlfriends and Boyfriends, I feel like is one of my favorite episodes of the series. Uh, this is the episode where you you start to get Nick and Lindsay as a thing. Like Nick just assumes that he and Lindsay are boyfriend and girlfriend, and you can tell Lindsay is not all into it, but she's going to go along with it because that's what you're supposed to do. She's either being nice to Nick, or it's just what she feels like a boyfriend and girlfriend is supposed to be, and it's just so delightfully awkward in that very real way, where like when you're in high school, you don't really know what a relationship is supposed to be. Right. Uh, so even if it doesn't feel right, you keep going with it. Right. <laughs> uh, and I feel like that's really well done. Yeah. And then, uh, and the the geek storyline with uh, Bill being paired up with Cindy, Sam's crush, as lab partners. Oh yeah. Uh, you, know, you kind of get that that lab partner trope. 
uh, from like from all the the old 80s movies. Again, this is uh, co-written by Paul Feig, uh, so I feel like you get a little bit of that uh, that this is what an 80s movie is supposed to be kind of situation. But uh, I feel like this is a lot more well done than a lot of the other Paul Feig episodes. And like the Sam and Lindsay storylines really mirror each other pretty exactly. Uh, And Sam and his crush and like how really young freshman love is kind of plays out. And then like how the junior 17 year old love kind of plays out. It's I, I just feel like really realistic and really, really well done. Now that you talk about this episode and it's jogging back into my memory i really loved this episode i really liked it at the time i thought it was interesting but i wish they were bolder and riskier like the pilot because i see the pilot's best quality as being uh that whole storyline about the special education kid i thought that was a bold risky move and we noticed now we've gone all the way up to episode eight we've never had we haven't had something that was as bold or as risky as that. Like, we were surprised that they banned episode four for having just sort of dark family content and everything. But for some reason, uh, this Girlfriends and Boyfriends episode, I felt like there was an opportunity to go a little bit deeper, and they just didn't take it. Uh, they played it a little bit safe for me. But as I think back on it, though, looking at it in context with all the other episodes, having watched the whole series now, it's one of the sweeter episodes. It has like a nice, sweet feeling to it where, like you say, we're dealing with what I wish they had done with the special education kid where we see the episode that happens afterwards where now she has to deal with the consequences of her decision to string this guy along. We never got that with the special needs kid. She gets off light on that one. The next episode, we just forget about it entirely. We never have to see any aftershocks, but here the story is continuing. So it actually feels like she has to take the responsibility now for this decision. And what is she going to do? Is she going to break up with this guy? How is she going to have to handle that if that eventually happens? Or is she going to keep dating? Are they going to find some kind of deeper connection? It's interesting in the regard that it's not maybe as predictable as the last episode. Yeah, carded and discarded. Um, it, it does feel a little bit more like what's going to happen next. I, I liked it. It was a little bit more meaty. And, and this is where you first introduce Cindy viewing Sam as just a friend where they're out at what was obviously a Burger King in real life uh, but it has a different name in the show like Shakey's or Sharky's or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember but... Uh, they're, they're out at the, the local fast food joint and right. uh, Todd comes in and, and introduces Todd as a character <laughs> and suddenly it's like... At last week's game he asked my friend Joe for my phone number. Do you think that means he likes me? He, he asked for your phone number? And, like, you just see the dejection in Sam's face. Do you feel He's the like, dagger go you, into his chest? It, it's just one of the it, most it's heartbreaking It's like that things. episode of The Simpsons with <laughs> Ralph uh, and Lisa leading Ralph on. Yeah. And then he, like, Bart pauses the, uh, the, the Krusty the Clown episode. It's like, watch this, Lise. You can actually pinpoint the second when his heart rips in half. And now. It was, yeah, it was a great moment. Which is really just real. Like, like uh, friend zoning is like a whole big thing now because 
it just happens so often in real life and in movies and TV shows. And you just you just see the moment where Sam gets friend zoned. And she's she's so out of his league. That's what's so painful about it is that it's so obvious once it happens because she's so far out of his league. It's it's it really seems hopeless that he could ever get that girl. But in this episode, they do kind of string it along a little bit that maybe he could. And in this moment, like you say, it just, you know, you look at this guy. Uh, what did you say the jock's name was? Todd. Todd, that's right. You look at this guy and he's got this like perfect like 90s, well, I guess 80s like sort of hair quaff do thing going on. And he's blonde hair. And you're like, what? Of course. Of course, that's the guy she has a crush on. There's, there's no way Sam can end up with her. And you might be surprised later on if you keep watching into the season, but this episode definitely like gives you the feeling that there's no way in hell it could ever happen. It really crushes him, and it's that that Charlie Brown moment where he, you know he's he realizes he'll never be able to kick the football, you know. Yeah, and and in a way, also this trope is played out where the the geeky guy and the hot girl, but like it, it is, it's it's well done. In this episode and in in the series. Yeah, they do it all the different ways it can go. They make it so that he can't get her, but then they make it so that he can get her, and then it, there's an ironic sort of twist in the end. And uh, that that plays out very well, I think. This show is part of kind of part of a, a larger arcy thing because this Cindy thing was set up in the very pilot episode, so right. it, it, it's it's harkening to that to that uh, core yeah. plot line, I think. And and it's gonna play through the through the whole series. Right. So stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, and again, this is another one where the last episode I feel like it's really hitting its stride, and then we're we're getting into it here, uh, and that leads us into uh, episode nine. We've got spirits. Hey, I hate this episode. So I guess I should be the one to <laughs> go through the premise of it. And I don't know what it is about it. It's written by uh, Mike White. I don't know who that is. It's directed by Danny Liner. I also don't know who that is. Not two people who are ever mentioned when people talk about this show. Uh, Original air date to January 24th, 2000. And it's not terrible because Freaks and Geeks is not a bad show. So this one episode, it doesn't really get terrible or anything. It's just that episode that doesn't quite hit on anything spectacular and feels just kind of bland and played out super, super not funny. It's like one of the episodes I think is that's just the least funny and it all builds up to this mascot story plot. And, uh, it has to do with Sam becomes the uh, McKinley baseball team's new mascot, right? After the four uh, basketball team, basketball team, basketball team's new mascot. After the former mascot, who's played by Shia LaBeouf, actually uh, breaks his arm and he's no longer the mascot, and Sam takes over. And he hopes to get closer to Cindy, right? Because in the last episode we established there's no way he could ever get her. But if he could get on the cheerleading team as the mascot, well, maybe he could, you know? And I like that aspect of it. It's like, that's a good strategy. But then it doesn't pay off in the end because we go through the whole episode and then it's just Neil Schweiber at the end in the mascot thing. And uh, Sam just stays over on the sidelines and watches that happen. And it's just... I don't know what they were thinking. Like, it just doesn't work. It's not funny or anything to see Neil go out there and just do his shtick when it would have been so much better if Sam went out there and Sam was the one who somehow f***ed up the whole uh, cheerleading thing and it would have been his faults and everything. I I just feel like the episode was mishandled in that regard. It didn't really arc Sam's character very well or make an interesting point or anything. And I don't 
I'm not sure I remember what the, the uh, freaks are doing here. Let me go back to my notes. Maybe while you're uh, checking your notes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, I, can I blow your mind again? Blow my mind again. Hands down, my favorite episode of the series. There's no way that's true. There's no I way. am not kidding you. <laughs> I am not kidding you. My favorite episode of the series, and here is why. What you're missing here is the freak storyline, and that is that Nick and Lindsay break up. Which we already established was sort of destined to happen anyway. Yes, but it is so well handled. And here's here's it's, what it's else well really done. gets me about this episode is that you really seem to have focused on the mascot storyline. Because it's and the I big storyline. Like it really sticks out. I disagree. I disagree. I think that is the C storyline. The C storyline. That is, that is Neil. And this is like one of the first times that we get a C storyline uh, in the whole series. Like, it's always the freaks are doing this, the geeks are doing this. And it's back and forth and back and forth. A and B. A and B. This time you get a C storyline because the B storyline and the where the mascot is just the vehicle is Cindy and Todd actually get together. And this whole mascot thing is so that Sam can be closer to Cindy. But Neil wants it to be that the new mascot has comedy and he didn't think that Shia LaBeouf's character had the comedy right. uh, in the thing. And so that's like, funny. It's As that's the C joke. story. This yeah. is this is Neil and Bill talking about what's funny, but and Neil that's c- just the C storyline, right? Like, but it the B storyline there is is uh, is Sam, Sam and Cindy and right. Todd. Yeah. The A storyline is Lindsay like really realizing that her and Nick aren't right for each other, and then like her confiding in her mom about this right, and then her yeah. mom being the one to spill the beans and like the 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 moment where Nick is under the stairs and Lindsay finds him and Nick is the one that like breaks up with her because she he thinks that's what she wants and then the end scene where Neil is doing his comedy routine <laughs> out out on the dance floor but Lindsay is just sobbing on her mom's shoulders because, like, even though this is what she wanted, it, it was still so heartbreaking for her to, like, really, like, she cares about Nick. Uh, and this, I think, kind of. seeing that. I mean, you no, know, she, she does. She, I mean, she cares about him, like, as a friend. She doesn't want to see him hurt right. or sad. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of all of this, there's a D storyline. So this is the first episode where we've we've done a deep dive into every one of the characters. Every character has gotten their episode. So now we know who everybody is. And Ken and Daniel and Kim are not into the the district championship basketball game or whatever it is. I think it's regionals. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, who cares? Like, I don't care about school spirit. And then they get they the kids from the rival high school Lincoln pull up and throw their fast food beverages at them and yeah. then suddenly they're into it. And that so was like, cool. I liked that. That was the only part of the episode I enjoyed really. And they then they go and track those guys down and vandalize their car and those guys beat them up. So like that's the D storyline. So like each 
of these little subsets of the characters are having their own storylines simultaneously. And that's the first and probably one of the only times you see that in the series. And that, that alone would make this one of my favorite episodes because I feel like it's where it becomes a true ensemble piece. But then just the different storylines and how like how there's comedy in Neil's thing and there's heartache in Lindsay and Sam's things and then there's more comedy in uh, Daniel and Kim and, and Ken's thing and how they're like suddenly like all about school spirit. Like yeah. th- it, This episode just really embodies Everything that is freaks and geeks to me. See, so, I see where you're coming. Favorite with, episode. I see where you're coming with from all of that. But I also want to point out that I think that the Neil Schweiber character is probably I think the most mishandled character in the show because he's the most like you. It, it, no, it's because he it heavily turns him into exactly what I don't want him to be. Which I want him to be clever and smart the way he was in the first episode when he said, you know, when 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 Bill came in and, and said, should I be wearing a cup for this? When they're talking about going to fight the bully and Neil turns to him and he goes, that's between you and your God, Bill. <laughs> it's like moments like that are, that are great that he didn't have enough of later on. Instead, he did silly stuff like this and he turned into a sort of a cartoonishy character of himself. And I think they just kind of dropped the ball on him. The writers dropped the ball with his character a little bit going through uh, this, the, the season and this episode to me fell flat on that regard. I do love the geek. I mean, the freak thing though, with the, with the other, them getting school spirit and getting all riled up and, uh, painting, uh, stuff on the other dude's cars. And it was a cool source of like conflict in the episode and everything. And it was fun, but I think that all got overshadowed. And so did the drama stuff with her and Nick. I thought all of that got, uh, sort of overshadowed by just a like of a like a kind of blandness on this episode to me I, i'm not sure what the point of this one was that was one of the things that i found hard to grapple with is what's the point of this episode i felt it was fractured maybe what you're talking about with the a story the b story the c story the d story is kind of what did it for me i thought that was maybe bold thing for them to try and do but it also kind of didn't pay off in the end that much because neither one of the stories got to take the center stage and really dive into their subject matter and get something from it. And I didn't feel there was a moral at the end. I didn't feel like anything was learned uh, at the end of the episode. It just seemed like a placeholder episode almost. Well, I think this is a uh, one where we totally we'll never disagree yeah, and we will totally, never agree. Yeah. Well, and, yeah, we'll see it totally different ways. I, I'm sure uh, forever. And again, I, uh, for our listeners, we've, we've got a Twitter, go to us on uh, at gone too soon pod. Let us know what you think. Is this your favorite episode? Is this your least favorite episode? Or is it just in between for you? Uh, so that brings us to episode 10, The Diary. The Diary. Uh, story here by Judd Apatow and Rebecca Kirshner, but teleplay by Rebecca Kirshner. Uh, original air date, my birthday, January 31st of 2000, which I guess would have been the day I turned 14. So, uh, really just right there in the middle of my, my freshman geek face. Um, yeah, this, this episode is, uh, an okay episode. I mean, uh, 
I thought uh, it was okay. It had some funny moments, but uh, it didn't leave a huge impact on me. But uh, Bill is tired of being confined uh, to the deep right field during the PE baseball games and is always being uh, the last one picked. So he's constantly embarrassed by Coach Fredericks in front of the classmates and everything. And it, this is sort of setting up something between him and Coach Fredericks, I think, a little bit uh, to pay off later. And uh, he's uh, convinced that it would be great, uh, that he would be a great or could be a great athlete if he were simply given a chance. And instead of confronting Coach Fredericks with this dilemma directly, Bill makes uh, two crank phone calls to him, one which consists entirely of insults. Meanwhile, when Lindsay's parents fear that her new friends are having a negative effect on her, uh, they forbid her from hanging out with Kim, and, and Harold uh, suggests that he and Jean read her diary. And when they do, what they read sends their marriage into a crisis because what Lindsay writes in her diary about her parents is so uh, just, like, straight-up honest and just and brutal, and she really, like, puts them through the ringer and makes them see their lives in a way that they didn't really see before. And she sees them in such a pathetic, like desperate way. And you, you can see that they see themselves in such a, like, you know, they, they see all their accomplishments. They see everything they've built here in this home. They see their children. They see this, their, you know, the, the business that he's built and everything. They see themselves in a very positive light. I think these two characters and she just, completely turns it around on them and they're sitting there and they just feel like such assholes for reading her diary and now they're reading this terrible stuff that's making them feel terrible and it just throws their marriage into like just a crisis and they end up having to uh basically just have sex at the end in order to figure out you know how to get over this and it was an okay episode but it just kind of came and went to me i wasn't uh, i didn't think it was the best episode but i do like the parents of the characters and this was a cool one for them to uh, be in the focus and be in the spotlight and I don't know, the dad's funny to me and, and so is the mom. I think I, I really like both of them. I really enjoy their part of the story and everything. So, But for some reason that this episode didn't, uh, it wasn't like a super great episode. It was just okay. Yeah, and this for me was a little bit better than okay. Uh, I thought this was a pretty good episode. You know, not obviously as wonderful and well-rounded as We've Got Spirit. But, uh, you know, they can all be. Uh, I, I really like there's there's a good story behind this episode as well, uh, where the NBC executives were tired of every episode ending on kind of a down like there was nobody ever got a win. So, like, we know we kind of touched on uh in one of the earlier episodes, how, like, the geeks kind of looked like they were getting their first win by, like, having Maureen be their friend, but then, like, in the end, they had to say goodbye as she became popular, and every episode kind of ends like that, where the arc goes from bottom to top to bottom again, uh, and they, they always end up on a down note. So, the... The network executives were like, guys, these these guys have to have a win sometime. Like, it's always so depressing. So at the end of the episode, Bill catches a fly ball uh, and he's celebrating and celebrating. And that's the win that they gave uh, to to the network. Uh, and then it turns out that that's just the first out. Right. Uh, <laughs> and while they're celebrating and all the like. Uh, 
uh, Sam and Neil run up to Bill like the other three people that were on base are running and scoring uh, home runs. So <laughs> they could never just give a full win. And I think that that's handled so well uh, where it's like, here you go. Here's your win. But here they're they're going to lose something right after it. So I think that I always feel like that's a great story about freaks and geeks, how they would take the network notes, but they would make it their own. Uh, so I really like that. And you, you see more of Coach Coach Fredericks, who's another favorite character of mine, uh, where I feel like, you know, Alan is like their bully. But I almost feel like Coach Fredericks is like their their ultimate nemesis, uh, where he represents, you know, there's always going to be bullies out in the real world as well. Uh, and what you can do to make those bullies into friends is what's going to get you through life. So, you know, like Bill calls up Mr. Fredericks and calls him all these names. And then he hangs up the phone and you can just see how like hurt he is by this. Uh, and there's this unnamed woman with him. Uh, that I, th- I find really interesting because, uh, you know, later on there's a storyline, which we'll get to where, Coach Fredericks gets with Bill's mom, and you're. I'm left wondering, like, who was this woman? Was this just a woman that he was seeing for a little bit? Was this his wife, and they just decided to get rid of her so that they could do the the Bill's mom storyline? Uh, I always thought it was interesting. So she says, "Who's that?" It's uh, an old friend. Uh, and you can see that he's hurt by this. Like he wants to be well liked. So I, I thought that was a really nice moment. There were there were a lot of really nice moments in this episode, uh, and I can see why you would just say it's just okay. The the diary and and the parents reading it. I thought there were there were nice moments in there. Uh, so yeah, just a, a lot of series of nice moments, but overall just 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 a just a pretty good episode. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think that leads us into, uh, episode 11. Looks, Looks and books. and books. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm curious to see what you thought about this one, because this one was written by Paul Feig, and you said that, uh, those weren't your favorite ones. Yeah, uh, let's, uh, let's remind ourselves a little bit of what happens in this episode. Lindsay crashes the family car after Daniel and the gang are like, we need a big car to go pick up our, our band equipment, uh, and take it to to this party. Uh, so Lindsay didn't want to take the car. She ended up doing it and she ended up getting in a car crash. And then that causes Lindsay to fall out with the, uh, with the freaks. Then she goes back to the mathletes and she ends up wanting to, she wants to get right back on the team. But, uh, Mr. Kachevsky is like, no, you've been away for a long time. I can't just put you around on the team. Uh, she ends up going into a, a scrimmage, uh, with another team and taking Millie's place. She ends up going to the uh, the sleepover. Uh, and then uh, this is the episode where Sam decides to uh, take his style into his own hands by, by Neil's suggestion. Uh, and he goes back to the disco store where Jason Schwartzman worked uh, in that uh, previous episode, Carded and Discarded. Yeah. Uh, but you don't see Jason Schwartzman again. You do see the, the manager, though. Uh, and he hooks... Uh, Sam up with a Parisian night suit. He walks in, and this is this is another this is an episode that was uh, famously inspired by Paul Feig uh, because he 
he said that he this was him. He yeah. he bought a disco jump bodysuit, uh, walked in, thought he was all cool, and then everybody started staring at him and laughing at him and looking at him. He realized he say he say he realized he had uh, made a horrible mistake. A horrible <laughs> mistake, and that's exactly what happens to Sam in this episode. He walks in and he's feeling on top of the world because uh, he he wants to he starts by quaffing his hair because uh, he wants it to look like Todd's. Uh, and I, I, I really liked the moment where Cindy was like, Sam, did you wear a hat today? Cause your hair looks kind of flat. Uh, so he, he did this just for Cindy and she did not, she didn't think it was really good. So that's the synopsis of what happens. And I am going to go ahead and say, I did not like this episode. And it's exactly for those, those Paul Feig reasons where I felt like it was really forced that Daniel and the gang would need Lindsay's car, Lindsay's parents' car, to go pick up this stuff. And, like, if they had just taken somebody else's car and not taken all six people with them, they could have gotten this. So, like, I feel like that's that's the scenarios that Paul Feig puts the cast in, where they're not really realistic scenarios, they're kind of vehicles. Uh, and then for that one instance... To cause Lindsay to be like, oh, I'm going to go back to the mathletes. I thought that was really weird. And then at the end of the episode where she's at the uh, the sleepover and then she's just laying there in the dark thinking and then she leaves. And uh, Millie is like, hey, where are you going? She's like, I don't know. But I don't think I want to be a mathlete. That's okay. I understand. I felt like that was really weird, and the fact that Lindsay got grounded and got sent to her room, and then she's sitting there feeling sorry for herself, and then Millie shows up in the doorway. Like, she was like, oh, I saw the car wreck. I feel like that was really forced, and, like, okay, she just got grounded, but her parents are going to let Millie in? Uh, I know that they think Millie is nice and she's a good influence, but like, I feel like that, that'd be a really weird parental move. Everything else in the series just feels so real, but when Paul Feig is at the wheel, he just kind of will put them into scenarios out of convenience uh, and kind of drop a little bit of that realism. But at the same time, this episode has one of my all-time favorite Freaks and Geeks moments. Like, when I, I hadn't watched the the series in, in quite a few years until we started re-watching it for this, uh, this episode of the podcast, where the scrimmage is happening in the cafeteria, Lindsay's up, and then suddenly there's rupturous cheers from the back of the room, and it's, it's Daniel and Ken and Kim, and they've all come to support her, even though they had this big falling out. Like... You really get that the freaks are going to support each other no matter what. Like, you know, like it happened in uh, I'm with the band where like the guys all had a falling out. and Lindsay thought like that was it. It's over. Like all these guys are no longer friends anymore. But by the end of the episode, they're like, ah, oh, man, we were just screwing around. Like we're always going to be friends. We're always going to be there for each other. And even though they had this falling out. All the freaks showed up for Lindsay, supported her, and they they pulled up the the bumper of the car, which I thought was a funny moment, even though it wasn't really realistic in that Paul Feig way. Uh, but yeah, one of my all-time favorite moments when when it turns out that they they came to support her in her uh, mathlete competition. 
Well, I like that you didn't like fully dig this episode because uh, I really enjoyed this episode. Like, I didn't mind those things you mentioned about some of the unbelievable factors because I thought the value of the idea that she would go back to being all mathlete and prissy for for an episode. Uh, I thought the value of that was cool. Like that. I I, I thought the value neat. of it was cool. I I thought it was a little contrived how quickly. She went to the mathletes and I then guess. came back. Like I, if it was like a three episode arc, I guess I would have been so much more into it. And if it could have played out a little more, but it, it all just seemed like it happened. But so see, fast. I think you're getting onto something that's wrong with the show in general, because I think we could say that about a lot of this stuff. It's what I said about the uh, special needs kid and everything from the pilots, like all these things you, you want all these things. You wish they played out over multiple episodes instead of these self-contained uh, episodes. Uh, but I thought this episode was cool for what it was in the sense that it opens with this car accident thing, which is the shock value of that is just kind of cool. It's a big sort of opening to an episode that we haven't really seen. And I don't know. I get what you're saying that it, it's less realistic when Paul Feig's in charge and everything. But I don't know. I didn't I didn't mind it for this episode because I, I liked seeing her dress in those clothes that we saw or we never really got to see her. I guess that was kind of the thing. We never really got to see what she looked like before. We never got to see her in mathlete mode and everything. And I think that's what I enjoyed so much about this episode was seeing a little bit of how the Lindsay that she was before she became this Lindsay that is the only Lindsay we've ever known, which is her in the green uh, jacket and everything. We never saw the person who she was before uh, her grandma died and everything, and she had that experience. So I thought that was uh, a cool uh, aspect and uh, I don't know like you said it has that great moment at the end with the mathletes where friends come in and it, it is one of those win moments where you're like oh wow something actually kind of worked out in the end and they actually actually acted like good people you know the other freaks and everything and I, it was fun I enjoyed this episode yeah so I think we can agree a lot of good moments yeah uh, but I, I feel like they just didn't tie together well enough for me well, this this next episode though, uh, uh, this one I didn't uh, particularly like that much. This is this is the garage door. Do you remember this one? Oh, I remember the garage door. I think uh, it's a uh, kind of an i I would say an iconic episode when you when you think of the the history and lore of freaks and geeks. Hmm. But I can see why you might not like it so much. <laughs> well, I did see a gigantic continuity error in it. That's one of the first things. This is the first time I've noticed a, a huge continuity error, which is uh, a scene where um, Sam's going to the dentist, and uh, I guess we should explain the, the plot of this one a little bit. He, he sees Neil Schreiber's dad, who's been established as this cool dude that they really like. They enjoy going over to spend the night at Neil's house because this dad's cool, and he... he you know, lets him stay up and he lets him watch cool action movies and or comedies or whatever they're watching. And, uh, and later on though, Sam sees Mr. Schweiber and he thinks he sees him sort of cheating on Mrs. Schweiber, even though they're not like making out necessarily they're hugging, but still it seems pretty obvious. And then the way the dentist, uh, that Mr. Schweiber is a dentist, the way that he, uh, uh, sort of reacts. It's very clear that he doesn't want Sam to tell Neil about this and doesn't want this day back to Mrs. Uh, Schreiber. So you get this thing where Neil finds uh, an unfamiliar garage door remote control in his father's car and he starts following the clues and this all tips him off. And he eventually figures out uh, what's going on. Um, 
And they could start going around the neighborhood. The three friends start going around the neighborhood on their bicycles, searching for the garage door remote control, uh, which one it belongs to. And uh, meanwhile, Ken reveals his first crush on this girl named Amy, which is really the best part of the episode. This is the part I actually liked about the episode is that there's a really good Ken story buried in this one about him getting a crush on this girl. And it's fun because we've never seen his character really be highlighted in this way. Even they in the story make a comment at one point about how Ken's never really fallen in love with anybody. I guess he just doesn't seem like the type. He has this very strong, cold exterior. It's one of the things I've always liked about the character, his character, is that he doesn't ever get... I hate melodrama, and Ken never gets even the slightest bit melodramatic. He's always sarcastic and everything. So I like that aspect. But this thing with Neil and his dad, I, for some reason, just couldn't have cared less. I just didn't... It didn't hit me at all. I didn't. I, I remember liking it the first time I saw it when I was a kid or when I was like, whatever younger in high school. Whenever this came on, uh, and I like the remote control thing at the end with the garage door and how they finally find it. And he throws it at the end. I remember that kind of being a powerful. It's a powerful moment, but overall, I didn't think the episode really uh, worked that well. Even though I could see some people maybe you know. Uh, liking this episode. I thought this was one of the more boring ones, though. Yeah, I would not say that this is one of my favorite episodes, but I do think I liked it uh, quite a bit more than you did. Uh, I agree with you 100% on Ken. I really liked that it's been more than halfway through the season, and uh, it's probably worth noting at this point that uh, this is episode 12 of the series, uh, and the original order for the ep- for the series was 13 episodes. And so at this point, they didn't know that they were going to be getting five more episodes. So this was the this is in their mind at the time, the penultimate episode of the show. Like this was going to be the one right before the finale. Uh, So it was nice to see Ken finally get fleshed out, uh, finally get his episode. Uh, So I really liked that. And I liked the the laser dome plot line where yes. they, they they all go out to the laser dome and like some of them think it's super lame and some of them and some of them think it's super cool and like it's really just a spot for making out uh yeah and you see ken and amy like making out in the the laser dome which was awesome and then you you kind of get these seeds of Lindsay and Nick again, like, are they going to be getting back together, kind of gearing up for what they thought was going to be the finale? Uh, So I liked all the the freak stuff. It was it was kind of minor as as freak storylines go. But I think that the Neil storyline hit home a little bit more for me as uh, the child of divorced parents, Uh, my my parents got divorced when I was 12 and as your parents are still happily married, congratulations, Mr. And Mrs. G. Uh, I feel like maybe it just didn't really resonate with you as, as much as it might've for me and for probably half of America who have, uh, divorced parents, uh, and kind of really finding out who your parents really are, you know, like this is, this is the age where you have been going along your whole life thinking like what your parents do is normal and that's what you're supposed to aspire to. Uh, and then you find out that your parents are not perfect uh, and and they have not only flaws, but like huge flaws. Uh, and it, it, so it really kind of hit home for me 
as both a parent, a uh, child of divorce, and now a parent myself, uh, just kind of, uh, I've got a, a five and a four year old and like when they grow up, like how are they going to see me and like, can I do right by them? So it, it, it was really a powerful episode for me, if not the most well written and most well acted. Uh, I do feel like it, it might cross into the realm of melodrama with Neil and his dad and like how Neil reacts to the other guys uh, telling him this information at first. Yeah. That was kind of an eye roll moment for me. That was one of the things. Yeah. 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 So like, you know, not, not really exactly well acted, but uh, I feel like the overall story uh, hit a little more hard and true for, for me. I don't know what it is. I think this goes back to an earlier theme of mine. It's that I think they screw up the Neil character. I don't think they managed to make him convincing with all this dramatic stuff that he's going through with the dad. Um, and it did, wasn't enough to win over someone who didn't have that experience, which I think is always challenged with anything. It's, is when you write something, it should be good enough that you make people feel what it is to have that experience. And for whatever reason, I just... I guess it's just because the Neil character in some episodes is treated so one-dimensionally as just the guy who has a bunch of goofy old-style jokes, and now here all of a sudden we're supposed to take him seriously. It doesn't fully work to me in that regard, but I can see how if the material, you know, I can see how it hit, hit harder for people who actually uh, felt a connection to the just the basic idea of the material. Well, I think that's this really touches on what's so great about Freaks and Geeks is like, Everybody brings their own experiences to this watching uh, and their own high school experiences. uh, And there's something for everybody here. Uh, So it's it's interesting to me that you and I actually grew up with a lot of the same experiences. Uh, We didn't go to the same high school, but we, we went in the same area uh, and, and we grew up together in the same, same friend group. But our experiences were different enough that we love different episodes and hate different episodes for different reasons based on our own experiences. Now we get into uh, the really weird territory. I I touched on this a little bit. Episode 13 is Chokin' and Tokin'. And like I said, the, the original order was for 13 episodes. Uh, And you will see that this is the 13th episode. However, they shot the 13th episode as the finale. And this is the first episode of the new five-episode re-up order. It was written by Judd Apatow. It aired on March 20th, 2000. This was the last episode to air as the part of the regular run on NBC. Uh, It aired on March 20th, and they got the official news that they were canceled on March 22nd. Uh, so this, this is a really weird uh, area in the, in the history of uh, Freaks and Geeks. This was a fairly low-rated episode. It got about 6 million viewers. And I am going to go ahead and say this is the worst episode of the series. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. The, the storyline, and, you know, like, we'll, we'll get into our opinions a little bit, but just a little bit on the storyline. Yeah. Uh, it all centers around... Marijuana for the freaks where Lindsay smokes weed for the first time. She forgets that she was supposed to babysit uh, and she employs Millie's help to get through this babysitting experience where she's like totally paranoid. Meanwhile, Daniel is toying with getting rid of his weed 
And Ken is like, well, give it to me. And then Mr. Rosso catches them. So, you know, Daniel and Rosso uh, have a whole thing. And it, that, so that's all about weed. And I think uh, even Nick has a thing in here where, like, uh, he's smoking and, like, wants Lindsay to try it. And she's like, no. And then he gets all mad at her and he's like, here, just just take my weed. And that's how, like, Lindsay actually gets to smoking for the first time is she, like, Nick throws his weed at her and and then she smokes it by herself and she doesn't know how. So she, like, rolls this giant joint which is kind of a, a comedic moment, but like for everything else just rang so untrue to me. And it really felt like the network was like, Hey, let's, let's scale it back on this whole weed thing. So it's, it's almost like they were pandering to the network and it was like a very special episode of freaks and geeks. Uh, so it really rang untrue for me. And then, uh, sorry, real quick, the, the storyline with, um, Bill and his allergies, uh, and he, uh, reveals in class because she's got a crush on Leslie Mann, who, uh, who had just, uh, married Judd Apatow not, not long before this. She plays Miss Foot, the, uh, the English teacher that Bill has a crush on. Uh, and he reveals in just like a, a, a f- the crush moment that he has allergies, just like Miss Foot does. Reveals that he has a really uh, deathly allergic peanut allergy, and then uh, Alan doesn't think he's telling the truth, uh, puts peanuts in his sandwich, and then he ends up going to the hospital. Uh, And there's this very uh, dramatic moment where uh, uh, Alan goes to the hospital and reveals that uh, he's mean to the guys because... In middle school, he actually liked them and wanted to hang out with them, but they were so clicky that they didn't let him in. Uh, and he actually likes sci-fi and all this stuff. Uh, so, like, that storyline was better for me, but uh, the the weed stuff just rang so untrue, and it felt so pandery. And the fact that this was the last episode to air before it got canceled, it just felt like they pandered to the network, and then, as a reward, they canceled them. Yeah, I thought this Choken and Token episode was blah and very surface level and uninteresting. Uh, it rang false for me too. This is not this is not an interesting way to approach the subject matter. It felt very just safe, genericy, and like you it, say, it felt very uh, uh, after school special. Yes, like you said, a, a very special episode of Freaks and Geeks. Like, like now we're going to talk about serious issues and stuff, even though we have from the very beginning. I don't know. It just it felt like there was an unusually bright spotlight put on the subject matter here, and it overshadowed all the characters. I can't remember really a single character moment because all I remember is this is the weed episode, and it was just they were talking about it the whole time, and all the characters are acting weird, and the, they're on pod, and uh, and I you know what I actually liked better about this episode was the ending where Alan the bully expresses to Sam, Neil, and Bill why he bullied them, uh, why he bullies them all the time. And well, well, actually, uh, the the interesting thing there is that he he reveals it to Bill oh, while yeah. he thinks Bill is unconscious. So like Sam and oh, okay. Neil don't know, oh, but yeah, it turns right, out right, right, right. it turns out when when Bill wakes up that he actually heard oh, everything. Okay. He was unconscious, but he heard. So then he invites. Alan to come with them to the sci-fi convention. That's right. Now I remember. Uh, which I thought was really funny that it was like a sci-fi convention, which is what it used to be. And now it's like Comic-Con is like a whole huge thing and it's really cool. 
and like geeks are inheriting the earth uh but like back in 1980 like going to a sci-fi con uh was the geekiest thing that you could do and nobody <laughs> would be caught dead and even and even gordon won't put his costume on until he gets to the parking lot because he doesn't want to look like an idiot i love that uh, character gordon gordon is a great and he's been in quite a few episodes to this point and yeah. i know we, we haven't really touched on him too much because he just doesn't feature too heavily but but gordon is a great character he's like he, yoda he ends or up joining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he ends up joining the geeks uh he features a lot more heavily as as the season goes on and he he's a great like he's he's the guy that you look at and you're like that guy's a geek and like yeah. it's almost like he's he's too geeky even for our geeks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then he ends up uh, really kind of joining the group, uh, and they embrace him. Uh, so yeah, he's a he's a great character and and really well well played. Yeah. Uh, but then uh, with the Alan thing, with the Alan thing, I loved it, that it, moment. I thought he I, acted that well. Yeah, he acted that really well. It was That's touching. the bright. That's the bright spot in this episode. But then what really killed it for me, very end scene, they're all meeting. And I think either Bill or or Sam's driveway, uh, Gordon and Neil and all them. Uh, and then you see Alan ride up on his bike and he's kind of hiding behind the bush, looking at them like he's going to join them. And you almost think he's going to. And then he says out loud, Man, I just can't do it. And he turns away. Yeah. And I wish, so wish, that they wouldn't have had him talk about yeah. it. I wish he would have just turned away, and it would have been a beautiful moment. Yeah. And it would have really, like, made that whole thing come full circle in such a beautiful way. But it, it was just so poorly handled, and it just really killed the episode for me yeah i couldn't agree more with there i mean i thought that uh that part at the end you're right because that actor is good enough he has a very expressive face he's good enough that he could have uh gotten that across no problem without literally saying it out loud like that um but uh but yeah everything else about that i liked uh, the execution of uh how it built to that moment and everything but still wasn't enough to save this episode for me i still thought it was very surface level and uninteresting so this leads us into episode number 14 uh it's called dead dogs and gym teachers uh directed by judd apatow written by judd apatow and bob nickman and this is another one of the episodes that didn't air until it aired on Fox Family, October 10th, 2000. So what NBC did when they decided to air three additional episodes, uh, like we mentioned earlier, uh, there was a fan-led campaign. They aired the last three linear episodes. So they, they had skipped over... Kim Kelly is my friend earlier in the run. And then they skipped over these two episodes, Dead Dogs and Gym Teachers and the next one, Noshing and Moshing. And they aired episodes 16, 17, and 18 all on one night, July 8th, 2000. So this is another one that didn't see the light of day until Fox Family and the DVD release. And I feel like this is one of the best episodes. It's amazing. Yes. 
It is so good. This is the one that we can agree on. Yeah. Uh, I think along with uh, We've Got Spirit, this is one of the best episodes of the series. <laughs> we can uh, remind everybody of the, the plot line a little bit. Lindsay and Kim are out at night. They accidentally run over Millie's dog. Which uh, is brilliant. And, and kill her. <laughs> yes. Uh, kill the dog. Uh, not kill Millie. Kill the no, dog. Yes. And Lindsay wants to come clean, but Kim doesn't. And in the in the process, uh, Kim ends up becoming friends with Millie, which I think is is great. Meanwhile, Nick is teaching himself to play guitar and writes a love song for for Lindsay. Uh, so that that's what's going on in the freak world. But the the main thing that happens in this episode that makes it one of the great ones is coach Fredericks starts to date Bill's mom. Uh, and I guess they actually, in, in the world of the show, they have been dating for a while, but, uh, Bill's mom, uh, doesn't reveal that to Bill until she knows it's serious. And actually in, in the show, they just introduced Bill's mom for the first time in the previous episode, choking and token. Uh, when they were at the hospital, uh, she was referenced in a very early episode. And they make jokes about him not having a dad. Yeah. So, like, you know that that uh, she's on her own. Uh, I think uh, Neil makes a joke about how uh, Bill's mom is hot. Yeah. So, like, we know that she's a looker and she's she's uh, out there on her own. And it turns out that she's dating Coach Fredericks, uh, which is just great. Fredericks is one of my favorite characters in this whole series he really goes the longest in being a one-dimensional character into like a fully fleshed out character he's one of the the best one of the ancillary characters that does that definitely uh and it and it leads to one of the best moments uh at the very end of the episode coach fredericks has taken all the boys out uh to the go-kart track uh he, he just meant to take bill out and it turns out uh, Sam and Neil went along and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, OK. And Bill has this whole blow up moment where he he's like, I hate you. You what? You always have to win. All you care about is winning. You don't you don't care at all about other people's feelings. I'm sorry, Bill. I he also had these these moments of defiance in gym class where he's like, you're dating my mom. Like, I don't have to listen to what you say. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of tension there and it leads to the. It's so awesome. Like, yeah. I mean, I just just the way it's done, because because Coach Fredericks is not seen as like a one dimensional character. He's seen as I mean, he's not like the villain in the story. It's like you want to side with Bill. But at the same time, you're like Coach Fredericks is being kind of cool like kind of cooler than even he normally is and you like him like you like both of them and it's just a really interesting conflict at the core of the episode because it's just one of those things where it's not cut and dry someone's right and someone's wrong it's just that things are difficult and it just feels very real and it's really well acted i mean martin star has shows a side of bill that we haven't quite seen because we had we've never seen him this deep before we've seen shades of his depth it's always been what makes bill an interesting character but we've never quite gone this deep he's never been this like pissed off about something before so it's really interesting in that regard and uh i also really love the millie b story and what happens to her where she sort of finds an edgier side of herself and kind of goes the Lindsay weird route for for the episode 
and she has sort of a, a cool encounter with her mom where you see her sort of be bold and rebellious a little bit, which is just interesting for the Millie character because we've never uh, seen that side of her. And I've always liked the Millie character because she's just uh, funny and uh, a connection back to Lindsay's old life. Yeah, she's she's kind of the angel on Lindsay's shoulder throughout the whole series. Right. And this is where you see her kind of take on the devil role. And then that actually kind of snaps Lindsay back a little bit where she's like, whoa, Millie, like, let's not go so crazy. Yeah. And and she's kind of the voice of reason. Uh, so that that you're right. That is a great storyline. And then uh, uh, the moment that uh, that ends the episode that I, I feel like is one of the probably greatest moments ever filmed where uh, Coach Fredericks is sitting watching sports and and Bill comes in and he's just like oh, I'm, I'm sorry Bill did, did you want to watch something? Yeah this is on and he's, he sits on the floor not next to Coach Fredericks and then you could tell that Fredericks is like totally not interested in Dallas and then Bill just starts talking about the characters and you know, Fredericks just recognizes, okay, this is my moment to connect with Bill on something that he he really likes. Uh, and he has this, like, super fatherly moment, and he starts taking interest in Dallas. And, like, that's where it ends. Like, that that's that's where, that's the ending that I wanted for uh, Chokin' and Token right before this, where it's just, like, an unspoken moment. You don't have to, like, lay it out, like... Yeah. He's not turning to somebody and saying, like, this is my moment to connect with Bill. Right. Uh, it just happens, and it's so beautiful, and then the episode ends. And I, yeah. I really I think it's one of the greatest moments in television. And it is a crying shame that this one didn't air until Fox Family, which yeah. nobody watched. And it, it, it literally 800,000 people watched this episode when it first aired on, uh, on Fox Family. So crying shame it's just another example of how this show got destroyed like like it's almost as if if someone wanted this show to go down because the fact that this episode did not air when it was supposed to was just criminal like you could have like not aired the choking and token episode and aired this instead because it's just so much better and uh yeah, I mean, what, what can you say? I don't know how much more you can say about it. Yeah, it's just a good one. Episode 15. Uh, this is Noshing and Moshing. It is directed by Jay Kasdan, written by Jay Elvis Weinstein, uh, Tom Servo himself. And this is the the third of the episodes that never aired until Fox Family, and it was the lowest rated episode of the entire run. Uh, and I will go ahead and say for good reason. <laughs> I didn't care for this episode. I thought it was it was blah. I thought that Neil it was the weak link, and this was like his episode. <laughs> uh, so you know, like his his moment at the party with his dad, where he he freaked out and he had the ventriloquist act, and and he was kind of like retcon to like always have been a ventriloquist. I don't know. Uh, yeah. That felt a little weird to me. He had mentioned it before, I think, but it had only been mentioned. We'd never really seen yeah. it before. So that that act rang a little untrue for me, and like his his moment of freak out on his parents, 
it just all felt kind of false to me. Uh, and I, I honestly can't even remember what happens with the, the freaks in this episode. To try to impress her, Daniel changes his appearance. To, oh, oh. Yeah. That's where Daniel... Uh, he punks himself out. Yeah. Daniel and Kim break up for one episode just so that they can do this storyline. Yeah. Where uh, Daniel kind of has a crush on this punk girl that works at a convenience store and she had dropped out and they go to a punk show. So he like, he changes himself. He has a, a Sandra D moment in the opposite direction where he, uh, he punks himself out and goes to a punk show and tries to be somebody that he's not. And you, you see a little bit of vulnerability from Daniel that you you haven't seen. And that's kind of like the one redeeming quality of this episode. But overall, for me, it, it, it all fell flat. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of okay with this one uh, having not aired. Well, I sort of agree with you. But I also kind of liked this episode. For one of the reasons for what you we just talked about with uh, Daniel being going, you know, getting all his punk hairdo and going to the show and trying to get with this chick and be this other guy. And it just shows, like you say, something vulnerable about him that he sort of, he's not entirely satisfied with his image and his lot in life and his uh, relationship with Kim and all these things. And you see a little bit more of the conflict uh, within within him, I guess. And the other thing I like about this is that they bring in this older brother character, who I forget the name of the actor, but he's very uh, well That's uh, David Krumholtz. Uh, you'll you'll recognize him as soon as you see him. Yeah, uh, I couldn't really tell you. He's he's just that that bit actor who's been in everything. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, he was very good in this, and he came in as the older brother to Neil, which I thought was perfect casting. And I, I thought he helped make the Neil character a little bit more interesting, actually, for me. So in this one. Neil with the ventriloquist dummy. Okay, now that is... It did sort of come out of nowhere. It It is that exact kind of thing about Neil that I don't kind of like because it's just such a one-dimensional, oh, ventriloquist dummy. It's such like a Saturday morning cartoon thing or whatever. I When he blew up at his dad, I don't know. I kind of liked that scene. I thought the actor did the best that he could with that material, the way it was written. And uh, it was just okay. I thought it was better than some of the other Neil stuff. I'd seen, you know, uh, in that garage episode. I mean, the garage episode was just horrible to me. I just didn't really like it at all. But this one felt, I don't know, a little bit better in that regard. But I really like how Lindsay had a love interest. And I thought I didn't remember that carrying on or anything, but I kind of wanted it to carry on beyond this episode. And it didn't. Of course, we never bring up the brother again and it never went anywhere. But she kissed him and everything. And he was charming. And it was actually like good chemistry. It was a good romantic story for her which we haven't really seen all of her romances have kind of I mean there was just the thing with Nick really I mean there hasn't been like too much uh, like you say winning the characters in the story don't achieve enough for themselves they don't go out there and take risks they're all like these losers which is kind of the point of the show of everything and it sort of glorifies failure and and the idea that failure makes you stronger uh, just by living through it and that's good but also you know, you want things like this for your characters. You want them to have interesting life experiences. And this is one of those moments where she, uh, as, as you know, the main protagonist and everything, she gets a little something for herself. She gets a little bit of love, and uh, it's cool. I liked it. 
I liked it for that reason. Yeah, I I I, I can see all that. Uh, I I I liked the moment, and I definitely liked the moment where uh, Neil comes up on them while they're kissing, uh, where it's already been established that Neil has a huge crush on on Lindsay. Right. Uh, so he's just had this big blow up with his dad. He he's at a really low point, and then like to add insult to injury, his brother is kissing the girl that he really has a crush on. So like, uh, for me that that. That felt good. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, like not, you know, not in a like a, it felt satisfying. Yeah, it doesn't go together very well. The two stories don't coalesce very well with the freaks and the geeks story in this one. They feel very separated. And, and the fact, yeah, they, they're definitely like they never like the James Franco thing interact. doesn't have anything to do with this. Nothing to do with anything, whatever. and th- and that's maybe why another reason why I felt like this this episode was so weird. And it's like yeah. It, you know, like Daniel and Kim break up and at the end they're back together. So like they that felt convenient uh, and it was just like a, a, a story device. And then whereas you enjoyed Barry Schweiber coming into the story, like I felt like it, it was almost a gimmicky uh, where it was like, uh, how do we get a little more out of Neil in this episode? Like, oh, let's give him a brother. Uh, they've never mentioned the brother before yeah. and then he just shows up as a plot device and like you said he goes away yeah. uh, and he, never to be seen again uh, so that that all felt a little weird to me uh, and kind of didn't ring true but and that's why this episode didn't really play well for me uh, and, and like all Freaks and Geeks episodes that I don't care for as much they all have great moments uh, yeah but but even then, like I liked the fact that Lindsay had a crush on Neil's older brother, uh, just like Neil has a crush on his friend's older sister, and like you, that really felt true in the small town sense, where like everybody knows everybody, and everybody has a crush on everybody's brother. So that felt that felt good, but a, as a whole. The, the whole episode just didn't really come together for me. All right, well, uh, let's see what you thought about the next one, then. The next one is called Smooching and Mooching, and it was directed by Jake Kasdan, and it's written by Steve Banos, and it originally aired on July 8th, 2000. It's my birthday. And uh, the premise of this one is that after Cindy breaks up with Todd, Sam finally asks Cindy out on a date after she tells Bill that she has a crush on Sam and wants Bill to persuade Sam to invite her to a party. Uh, Sam, Neil, and Bill find themselves nervously attending uh, a makeout party. <laughs> and I, I like that aspect of the, this episode. Uh, and uh, much much to Lindsay's point, uh, disappointment, though, uh, the, the Weirs allowed Nick to stay the night at their house, which is very weird. And Nick's father uh, sells his 29-piece uh, drum kit, which is very, like, of course, dramatic and disheartening for him and just sort of completely screws up his day. And we get into a little bit more, I think, of uh, the whole idea that he's afraid that he's going to have to go to military school and everything like that. He's screwed. And that stuff's kind of interesting. Uh with Nick, I thought. But uh, for this episode, though, I, I did really like uh, the, the whole thing at the party, and when Bill goes into uh, the closet at the end with uh, this girl, 
Um, uh, Vicky. Vicky, yes. And she's been in there since the opening shot of the show, actually. I think she's that girl who's kissing yeah. that jock. Yeah. So she she's played, and um, we had another character we haven't really had time to touch on, but she yeah. she's played, she was, uh, she's the head cheerleader in uh, We've Got Spirit. So she's the one that's really like bossing Neil and Sam around as the mascot. Right. Uh, so she's been established as like this bossy girl. And, and she showed up in uh, the episode where Bill went to the hospital. Uh, oh yeah, as a actual love interest for Neil, uh, which kind of came out of left field. Yeah, uh, which was okay, but like she's she's just kind of established as a hot girl who is head cheerleader and gets everything that she wants. And she's better here than she was in those previous episodes. This is the best episode for her. Absolutely. Because, yeah, it gives her this moment to shine where you see that she's not just the superficial B-I-T-C-H. She has, like, depth, and she has enough emotional sensitivity to see that Bill is in need of, you know, a win here. It's, a, it's another example where a geek gets a win, like a really awesome win. He gets to make out with this girl in the closet for a long uh, period of time and it's just it's neat it's one of those moments where you're like that never happened to anybody like no that 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 part's no way that part is real i mean maybe it is but that's the craziest thing ever because that usually does not happen but it's one of those cool freaks and geeks moments where someone decides to go against a conventional way of doing things or thinking and you get like this cool moment of just seeing that people are individuals they're not these stereotypical one-dimensional high school kid characters that they're supposed to be or whatever they're human beings they can make their own decisions and this is another moment where we see someone do something that's maybe out of character for them you might say it's out of character but we see their their thought process we see the scene the emotions that lead them to that moment so it's believable that a, that a person who's multidimensional and complex would maybe make this decision in this moment instead of the decision you think they're going to make and i just i loved that scene i loved that scene and i i think that scene uh makes this episode pretty uh, memorable and cool to me it's just really fun to see bill get some action and it's it's an all right episode at times in terms of the other aspects of the story but really just for that moment i would say that's you've been talking about your favorite moments and stuff i would say that's my favorite moment maybe from uh this this rewatch experience that i had because i totally forgot that that happened and so seeing bill uh in that moment and everything it cements him as like my favorite freaks and geeks character. And I think that moment is my favorite moment from the series. Yeah. Uh, I really liked this episode. Not my like favorite favorite, uh, but right. maybe top five. Yeah. I, I, for all the reasons that you said, the makeout party was like a great, a great overall story uh, where Sam finally gets together with Cindy uh, and Bill gets his moment with Vicky Neil, of course, can't get anybody to kiss him because he <laughs> keeps landing the bottle on Bill. I thought that was a very funny moment. Yeah, that was hilarious. But I also felt, and it didn't seem like you really cared for the Nick storyline, but I really, really, really loved it. I, I don't know if I care for the for the Nick character that much, I think, is what it is. Besides the fact that he's a drummer. Yeah, I and, and, you know, like, I think you have being a drummer in common with him, but I feel like... Nick is the character that I identify with as a person. And here's here's what I really liked about it. It's actually the moment where Lindsay's blowing up at her dad because she he's treating Nick so well when if 
Nick messes up, he will help him. But if, if Lindsay messes up, then he gets mad at her and she gets grounded. And Harold says, Nick's father's a hard man. My old man was the same way. Yeah, I know the feeling. Lindsay, trust me, you don't. So you really get this sense without it being like explicitly said that Harold's dad was a huge hard ass and he right. it's established that he was a military guy. Uh, I think in the chronology of things, he was probably in World War Two. Uh, if I if my math is all correct. Uh, so he was probably like a part of the greatest generation. And in a sense, Harold has in, in inherited some of that hard assness, but he's he's able to look at it from a different angle because he had that experience. But then when he sees Nick's dad acting exactly like his father did, he really takes Nick in and treats him very much like a son. Uh, and I I love every aspect of that because it is so unspoken. Well, yes, as, as you talk about it, it brings it back to memory. And it's like, yeah, that like what you were talking about there, that moment where the father had that exchange with Lindsay and everything that was so powerful when you were reminding me of it there. I think the bill thing stood out to me more just because I loved it so much, but I do. I did like Nick uh, when they were showing when he's showing him the jazz drummer and Nick's going yes. like when Nick's talking about that. And he's like, he's like, oh, man, how did they do that? That's where they hold it. The sticks yeah, in that no, weird way. Nobody can do that. Yeah, oh, I can't do that. And I was just I, I love that because that was something my dad taught me how to do. That was something part of my drum learning experience and everything. And it is cool. Like it is you can do different things that you can't do when you're holding the sticks a different way. So I thought that was very true to the whole drumming thing. And, and that was something they connected on. And I think, you know, the personal experience comes into play a little bit because it is sort of a father son relationship and they are sort of connecting on music and stuff. And so that is kind of like me and my uh, dad relationship, you know, and just another thing where like this show hits on so many notes that one of them is bound to overlap with your life experience in some way. Yeah. It's definitely not like, a, you know, one of the bad or, you know, one of the least good episodes or something, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not sure where it ranks, but it's definitely, you know, uh, I'd say it's probably more at the bottom of the list of the good ones for me, but it's still in the list of the good ones. Yeah, yeah, like it's 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 probably, I, I had said top five, but yeah, maybe top seven. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that, that was the, f- the first of three episodes to right. air on NBC months after it was canceled. It was canceled in March. In July, they decided to air the last three episodes uh, all in one night on a Saturday night. So this is the the second episode, The Little Things. Uh, Episode 17, directed by Jake Kasdan. Uh, Story by John Kasdan. Uh, Not entirely certain what the relation is there. Maybe Jake's brother. Yeah. Uh, Judd Apatow, Mike White. Uh, and then teleplay by John Kasdan. Uh, so a lot of people had had their hands in this story, hmm. and yeah, I really liked this episode too. I thought yeah, it was a too. really really strong episode. I thought you could have ended the whole series on this episode, and it would have been uh, just okay. Read, yeah, and we'll we'll get into the the finale episode uh, in a bit. Yeah. But I feel like yes, this was actually this was much stronger than what actually ended up being the finale. Yeah, you know, just a, a little synopsis of the story. This this is the one 
uh, storyline that I referenced earlier in the podcast that was not based on a real experience of the writers. This is the one of all 18 episodes. And that is that it's revealed that Ken's girlfriend, Amy, who they they, they had kind of met a few episodes before, but you hadn't really seen anything from them. And then it turns out that they are... Uh, in fact, boyfriend and girlfriend, and they're very cute together. Yeah. Uh, it turns out she reveals that she has uh, ambiguous genitalia, uh, that she was she was born with both. Uh, they removed the male genitalia at birth, but biologically, they're still a part of her that's, that's a guy. Uh, and that kind of like weirds Ken out. He thinks that maybe he's got to break up with her, and is does that make him gay? Which is like the funny. It's like Daniel says that to be funny, and then Ken is like, "Oh, yeah, I don't know. Like it's something that he actually hadn't thought about." And he has this like a comical moment where he's looking at like a male porno mag and the female <laughs> porno mag. Uh, it was it was kind of. Felt a little. Uh, it was a little juvenile, simplistic, yeah, or something. Yeah, juvenile, yeah, especially from a writer's standpoint. Uh, it's. I remember thinking at the time, "Wow, that's not woke," uh, which is not a phrase that would have entered anybody's mind in uh, 1999. Yeah. Uh, and it and we were still in that era of like, "Oh, that's so gay," uh, and gay being a bad thing. So yeah. like. It could have been better handled, but I, I still think that the, the comedy was played pretty well, uh, where where Ken just didn't know what to think here. Seth, Seth handled it well. He played it just right. Seth handled that really well. It was it's well acted by Seth Rogen. Like like we said earlier, like Ken doesn't get a lot of play uh, overall in the series, and then the the, the episodes that he does play in uh, are handled really well. Uh, the other storyline being uh, Sam and Cindy are finally together, and Sam realizes that he doesn't actually have anything in common with Cindy, that Cindy is kind of controlling, that she's kind of bitchy, and maybe finally getting the hot girl uh, isn't all it's cracked up to be. Hmm. So that that felt like a, a very true life lesson where... Uh, you know, as a geeky guy, you're always kind of like idolizing the hot cheerleader. Uh, and then once you're actually together, like maybe it's not as all cracked up to be. Yeah. And and finally, uh, Lindsay gets the opportunity to ask Vice President George Bush a question during an assembly, uh, which I thought was a very funny thing for them to have tackled uh, in the show. Just the timely politics and like. We, in our 1999-2000 world, know that George Bush becomes president, and I think even in the the course of filming this episode, George W. Bush would have been going through the the primary process, so I thought that was a very funny way to handle that historically. But that the politics of it felt kind of forced, you know, like uh, Jeff Rosso kind of instills in Lindsay the uh the 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 rebellious uh 60s spirit the hippie way the hippie way uh <laughs> and and defying authority while as a counselor and a teacher like telling her that 
uh, political discourse is like a good thing. And, and it's and it feels weird that like Rosso is the guy that gets to pick who asks the question. And then it turns out that he's vetted as being not a trustworthy person. So why at that point would they let Lindsay ask the question? So I thought that was weird. Well, they did reject one of her questions. Yeah, they, so they rejected her question and then gave her a, a pre-written one. And I, I just kind of, that rang untrue for me because I feel like at that point they would have just picked a different student rather than giving her a false question. Hmm. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then in, you also get a, in that storyline a very funny and comedic uh, cameo by Ben Stiller, who yeah. I guess uh, did the this episode as a favor to Judd Apatow to try to get some star power uh, into the show to help it save from being canceled. But uh, obviously that didn't work because the show was canceled before this episode had a chance to air uh, and probably before it had uh, the chance to go through uh the, the editing process. Uh, and actually, uh, uh, Judd and Paul Feig have gone on record as saying, like, they pretty much knew by this point they were going to get canceled. So they were like, F it. Let's just let's just swing for the fences and do this ambiguous genitalia storyline that would never fly on network television. But they were like, eh. We're gonna get canceled anyway. Let's just let's just do something edgy and and different. Well, and I think that goes back to what I was saying before. What I liked about the pilot being bold and doing something like that, choosing something that you would think the studio would go, oh, I don't know if we can air that and everything. And this storyline with uh, Jessica Campbell, uh, who is in a movie called Election with Matthew Broderick. If you've never oh. seen that. She's very good in this show. I like what she does with her character. I like this story arc. Uh, and I liked the politically charged stuff for what it was worth to the Freaks and Geeks brand. Like the idea that Freaks and Geeks really like celebrates and romanticizes being a rebel, questioning authority, looking at things critically and in different ways. And it's a thing where I think that there was a little bit of... Uh, fourth dimensional metaphoring here, you know, because at the end she looks right at the man and she asks. My question is, why did your staff reject my question? Are you afraid of an open discourse with the students? And I think that in a way, there's almost it almost felt like they the writers were reaching through the screen trying to talk some sense into the studio people and say, look, you know, Freaks and Geeks is a question. It's a bold question. It's trying to be an edgy question, a rough, gruff, you know, grungy type question. But why reject it? Why cancel this show? Why are you so afraid of having that discussion, you know, and doing a show that has a little bit more uh, edginess to it and everything not something so safe like you know Dawson's Creaky and everything that's why I thought that that would be a good episode to end things on because it ends with that moment of her asking that essential question yeah the way the way you put it it does sound like it, it is very fitting with the the world of freaks and geeks it's a, it's it's a good show that hits like a high level a lot of times so it it leads one to be sort of 
critical. You want every episode to hit on all cylinders, and some of them do, and they're sort of the great episodes, and then some of them feel a little bit softer on certain cylinders, uh, and then some of them are highly, like, subjective, it seems. Like, there's just a, a good variety. Like, it's a cool season of television in the sense that it's like a roller coaster ride. It goes ups and downs, and I, I think that some people might fall off at certain episodes, but if you wa- keep watching through... It really is a mixed bag. There are certain episodes that will just surprise you, and uh, they're really, really great. Um, I don't know how you feel about this next one, though. What did you think of the Discos and Dragons, episode 18, the final episode? This is the one that was actually filmed before they did these last five. It felt really weak to me. (laughs) Uh, I feel like I think we kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, Yeah. We could have gone out on little things, and yeah. the moment of Lindsay asking her question to George Bush, and that being the end. Yeah, this is uh, episode 18. Uh, this episode is called Discos and Dragons. It's actually directed and written by Paul Feig. Uh, it originally aired on July 8th, 2000. Also, again, which I guess the past, the last three episodes all aired on July 8th, apparently. Yeah, so this one, uh, it starts it's off weird. with it, it's so it, weird. It is so weird how she just meets these these people who are into the Grateful Dead, and it has such an impact on her that it makes her decide to leave the town at the end and go chase the Grateful Dead. It's just it's not set up at all, and it's just very odd. But go the ahead. The funny, the funny <laughs> thing is, is you you went off on that, but I was just about to go off on the Nick and the disco craze. Oh my god, that's so bad that I didn't even want to bring it up. <laughs> like this girl Sarah, who yeah. has never been established, oh, it's is terrible. just like he's suddenly dating this girl Sarah who's yeah. into disco. And then suddenly Nick's into disco, and he's actually not a good disco dancer. And and it's totally out of character. Like no rock drummer would ever be into disco ever no, under any circumstances. Yeah. So so they so they walk in and they for some reason have some joy out of yelling disco sucks at these people that do disco at a bowling alley, which is kind of lame in and of itself. And something yeah, like that why seems go out them? of your way? Yeah, yeah, like if. <laughs> If you happen upon some disco dancers, then go okay. ahead, yell yeah. disco sucks. Uh, and this is this is another Paul Feigism where I feel like he puts the characters into situations that they wouldn't normally find themselves in just to put them into those situations. So that that rang untrue for me. And then the dragons of this uh, is that Daniel gets assigned to the AV club as a punishment by Mr. Rosso, which also rang false. And another example of Feig just putting the characters into these situations just so that they could play out. Yeah. And, like, is AV a class? Is it a club? It seems to happen during school. I think it happens during class because at one point he brings in a projector and he's the projector guy. Yeah. I guess the idea is that the audiovisual class or club, uh, they sort of, yeah, they fix the projectors. They take the projectors around. and That makes sense. But, like, if it happens during the school day, like when, when Nick and, and Kim and Lindsay are all in English class. Yeah. 
then wouldn't Daniel have already had a class during that period and Rosso would have had to take him out of that class and put him in AV as punishment? Like, that just... It just rang so false for me. It took me so out of it. Yeah. Uh, and the disco thing took me out of it. Uh, uh, and the dead thing took me out of it. Yeah. Uh, so I really just, yeah, did not care for this episode. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't anything to, to really, like, grab a hold of there. Because, like yeah. you say, like, all those things really play lame. I don't know. It's like you say, Paul Feig sets up these situations and he lets them play out. And they kind of have their surface value and that's it. And at the end, we get something like this character decision from Lindsay that feels odd and weird and not realistic and not like something a real person would do, which isn't to say that a teenager who is disgruntled and running away from like home and stuff is not realistic. It's the way that it's executed seems like it comes out of nowhere and is not like something i mean it's not even like one of the freaks like one of her friends that's doing it it's these two well, it's like, it, kids. you know kim kim is involved in it she gets involved like, with it, yeah yeah like it, it turns out she's there with the two deadheads in the microbus at the yeah, end right, so like right, there's right, a right. little bit of that yeah but like and, and also like in, in the sense of like setting up false situations it's like you know lindsay is selected for this uh academic camp at University of Michigan that she didn't apply for. Yes. So, like, it's weird that she's kind of being, like, forced into spending two weeks of her summer at a thing that she never wanted to go to and didn't apply for. So, like, that that also felt false. So, like, all the situations throughout the episode felt so false that I just couldn't get behind it. And, like, yes, the, the one maybe kind of funny redeeming thing is uh, Daniel playing Dungeons and Dragons with the geeks and making his Carlos the dwarf character, yeah. <laughs> and that was that was amusing. And I, I and you know we amusing. haven't really touched on we haven't really touched on Harris, uh, who plays pretty heavily throughout the series. And I can't believe we got to all the way to the last episode. And <laughs> the first time we're talking about Harris, yeah, uh, as like the the wise older geek. Yeah. Uh, and he plays the dungeon master really well, and it's it's amusing. But like the the situation that got us there, and the 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 conversation that they have at the very end, also rang to me much like uh the the Alan at the end of the the Choken and Token episode where he says, "Oh, I just can't do it." Where they, like, explicitly talk out, like... Does him wanting to play with us again mean that he's turning into a geek? Or we're turning into cool guys? I don't know. I'm gonna go for us being cool guys. Yeah, I'll buy that. Yeah, definitely cool guys. (laughs) Cool. Da-da-da-da-da-da, freaks and geeks. Yeah. Oh my god, what a Paul Feig moment. You know that's his thing. Especially after he's seen Ghostbusters, you know, this is just the kind of thing that he would write because it just he's got a really like cheap kind of feel to the way he writes. Everything yeah, feels like, very, like and that's plasticky. Exactly. And that's kind of it's going back all the way back to the pilot and tying it back, which was Paul Feig written. Yeah. It has a very wink wink nudge nudge 
quality to it. It does, but I think with that pilot, what, what separates this Discos and Dragons episode from the pilot episode for me is the Judd Apatow effect. Because I really think he went in there and balanced all that crap out and made it like a lot more edgier and cool. He made the freaks cool. And what you're talking about here is like you can tell that Paul Feig's writing the freaks here because they all start like just not feeling like anything anymore and and i don't know he's really good at the geeks i guess like i said that the whole idea of the dungeons and dragons is good the whole idea of bringing daniel into the ab club is good in theory it's a great setup of like yeah that's interesting but it doesn't really do that much with it and then this grateful dead thing kind of just sweeps into the episode and takes Lindsay away and you're just like okay and I, I have to admit, I thought it was sad at the end when she's on the bus and she's looking out at her family and they're waving and they think she's going off to this school thing, but really she's going off to the, to, to the Grateful Dead concert to do a bunch of drugs and maybe get pregnant or something. And and it was kind of heartbreaking and sad because it's like, it's such a Lindsay moment to be sitting there lying to everyone. And they're all so happy for you and thinking you're going off to like live your good life and everything. And really you're going off to do like some some criminal stuff or some rebellious stuff, but uh, I liked that aspect of it. Like, there was an iconicness to that, but it was all surface level, really, ultimately, when you peel it back. Like, that episode just didn't really hit that hard. It didn't have too many great moments of dialogue or anything. Uh, Not too many great jokes I can remember. It was a real letdown. I mean, in comparison to the last episode, number 17, The Little Things, which had a great story it was funny all throughout and it ended on a poignant moment. This, this ends on a very ambiguous note of like, we don't even know. Yeah. Whether... And not ambiguous in a good way. No, where, like, it's just, it's, just a, just it's a not, cliffhanger. it's not, it's not who shot Jr. Yeah. It's, Oh, Lindsay went to the grateful dead concert. Nothing good is going to come of this. Yeah. And that's it. We don't know. Yeah. It's like the final episode of Galaxy Quest where it's just like activate the Omega-13 and then boom, it's done. <laughs> we don't know what happened after that, you know? And it's, it, it uh, kind of helps this thing be a little bit more frustrating as a television show that it ends that way because uh, you just kind of wonder, well, what would have happened? And, and I don't know. I, I kind of like it in the sense that it's cooler than having it end in just like a nice little bow around it or whatever it's a little bit more rebelliousy, uh more in keeping with the tone of the show that she would do something like that in the end but because they had to write that so quickly and they didn't know they were going to get to make these other five episodes they didn't really get to build up to all that stuff they didn't get, get to introduce the grateful dead characters a couple of episodes early so we could set that stuff up and make it feel more natural. And that's why I think I was ultimately let down by it because it didn't fit into the continuity of the Freaks and Geeks storyline anywhere. It was just some random episode that happened next and didn't pick up on anything to do with Ken and his girlfriend. They just completely, that's yeah, not Yeah, I mean, there. she hadn't even been introduced. That's right. By the time they filmed the episode. So yeah, like Amy disappeared. This girl, Sarah, just shows up and is suddenly Nick's girlfriend. So, yeah, it feels very, very disjointed. It was a very, very unfortunate way for the series to have ended. Well, all right, then. Uh, So are we done? Is that like the end of the show now? (laughs) I think that about wraps it up. Kudos to anyone who listened to all of this. That's amazing. Yeah. 
And if you uh, if you have anything to add, please hit us up at Gone Too Soon Pod on Twitter. Uh, we've also got an email address, uh, Gone Too Soon Pod at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up with any questions. If you've got something to add, uh, we'll try to keep the conversation going. Like obviously, you can tell we love to talk about TV shows. So hit us up. We'll go out for some coffee sometime. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us next week when we cover Kevin Smith's Clerks the Animated Series and talk to series co-creator, executive producer, and writer, David Mandel. That's the other thing is people sort of need to remember this is pre-internet, pre-Hulu, pre-Netflix, you know, pre-all the places where probably in retrospect, if we'd been, this is an example, everyone's always like, you know, you know, you know, the, you know, the early bird catches the worm or whatever. If we'd been like, Five or six years later with Clerks, the animated series, we probably would have been much better off. There would have been a lot more interesting homes for it and places where it probably would have survived. Until then, always remember they can cancel the shows, but they can't cancel the fans. Cancel the fans.